Hey, I'm Clayton. And I'm Sean. And we're men who like men who like movies. We're two queer men who love movies and we like talking about movies. And after a lot of urging, we started a podcast. So this week is your actual pick, Clayton. And I know you've been super excited for this one. Uh, so what did we watch? Well, this is honestly the whole entire reason I started this podcast was to get Sean to watch this movie. It is 1998 romantic comedy classic, You've Got Mail. And we have got a special guest to help us out with this one today. My very longtime friend, Brent Wagner, one of the creators of the 50 Books Project blog. Nice to have you here, Brent. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So yes. what made you choose this movie? Um, well, so initially it was because when you asked me to be on your podcast, you said you kind of pitched it as a horror podcast and I do watch a little horror, but I didn't really feel qualified to talk about it. And I think you sent me, maybe sent me the long list of the movies. And when I saw you've got mail, um, I, I, I do like this particular movie a lot, but I, I really like romantic comedies. And since we have been friends for a long time, um, you know, that, uh, the church youth group would, get together from time to time and they would watch movies and because <laughs> it was the church youth group like there were there was only a small subset of movies that were like acceptable to watch and so there were a lot of sort of like pg pg-13 rated romantic comedies that were just like in constant circulation <laughs> that you would that you would see a lot of times and uh i think like while you were sleeping and um my best friend's wedding and uh, maybe some of the uh, some of the edgier youth uh, watching Pretty Woman or something like that, um, but somehow I didn't see You've Got Mail until after I got married, just a few years ago. I saw it for the first time, and um, since then I've uh, I, I don't know if the people listening know, but that movie's written by Nora Ephron and I think directed by yeah. her as well. Uh, um, her and her <laughs> sister both wrote the screenplay together. It's a remake of. Uh, movie from 1940 called Chop Around the Corner. But yeah, she co-wrote and directed it by herself. Yeah, and and I'm a I'm a big fan of of her work. Um last few years I read her she may have two novels, but I read her novel Heartbreak and a few of her essay collections and they have a very similar tone to her movies. Just very witty um and sincere and I just thought it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, romantic comedies don't get the respect they deserve a lot of times I think because so many of them are so light. And the really good ones are just really good kind of timeless movies, I think. Mail is one of them. I agree. I agree completely. Um, Sean, what about you? I know this was obviously the first time you saw it. What are your quick thoughts on You've Got Mail? Um, well, I I liked it. <laughs> um, is it going in my top list? No. Um, but I did, I did enjoy it. Nora Ephron is a genius at dialogue and it is very whimsical, which can be fun. I'm not a huge person on whimsy, but it, 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 it has a fun tone. And I mean, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan just have some of the best chemistry love, like any romantic pairings. Um, probably why they did three movies together. Um, uh, yeah, I liked it. Uh, I saw it for the first time on Friday with you, which is one of the few, few movies we could actually say we watched 
together for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we hardly ever watch movies in person together, and I was so excited for you to watch it, and you finished it, and we're just kind of like, hmm. I was really sad. <laughs> yeah, it was also one o'clock in the morning, and I was just like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> um, I do, I did enjoy it more on my second watch. Um, it, it it went up about a half a point for me. So, um, what are you are you judging me? Don't judge me. <laughs> I wasn't. I I had to cough. That's all. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was like, that was like a harumph. <laughs> no, no, but not yeah. all. Uh, uh, and how about you, Clayton? As for myself, I remember when this movie came out, and also, as you both know, I grew up very, very, very conservative Christian, and unlike you, I wasn't even allowed to watch PG thirteen movies. And so when this movie came out on, <clears throat> and obviously I wasn't allowed to go to the theater, but. When this movie came out on video, maybe DVD, but I think it was video, um, I went with my mom over to my cousin Lynette, who you know her. I went to my cousin's house and she showed us she got mail after we had like this big discussion, you know, it's PG for like language. (laughs) And uh, so... uh, we watched it and I fell in love and have been in love ever since. I watch it all the time. I watch it every single fall, usually several times a year, but sometimes I slack off if I'm feeling too single. But anyway, I just love it and couldn't wait to cover it for this because it's just what you watch in fall or Christmas. It works for both. I know it takes place over fall, Christmas, and spring, but it makes me think of fall mainly. Like Nightmare Before Christmas. You can watch it at a halloween or you can watch it at christmas yeah it works both um also two singles is like painfully hard <laughs> painfully <laughs> honest <laughs> yeah anyway you want to get into this movie and there will be spoilers for this almost 25 year old movie oh my god oh wow yeah <laughs> starting the starting the podcast on a bleak note yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, every time he says the the age of the movie, I'm just like, why, why did we start that? <laughs> like, that? That hurts. Hey, the passage of time is inevitable. That's <laughs> I, why you should keep classics remembered. Yeah, when I was watching it, I almost felt like I should have tracked down like a VHS copy just to fully, you know, re-experience it, but. I don't have, actually, I do have a VCR. I do have a VCR, and I have it set so it does look decent on my TV because the only way I can watch Anna Vavonlee is on videotape right now. Um, I did track down a Blu-ray of Anna of Green Gables, but I have not been able to do that for Anna Vavonlee, so I keep a VCR around specifically for that. (laughs) That is way too much insight into who I am as a person. (laughs) Uh, it's my background, I swear. I grew up Christian. We had to love Anne of Green Gables. We had to. And it's it's stuck. You talk to anybody and they uh, you can't hardly meet somebody who, who loved Anne of Green Gables when they were like a teen and doesn't still love it. Yeah. I mean, it's classic. It really is. So uh, this movie, as I already mentioned, is a remake of the 1940 Shop Around the Corner starring Jimmy Stewart, I believe. 
Um, and Nora and Delia Efron wrote the screenplay, and Nora Efron directed this. Um, the cast, I'll just go through them kind of quickly. And it stars Meg Ryan as small bookstore owner Kathleen Kelly, Tom Hanks as the romantic lead, and um, partial villain, man. you know, leading businessman Joe Fox. Uh, Parker Posey, wonderful as always, playing Patricia Eden, Tom Hanks's girlfriend at the beginning of the movie. Greg Kinnear playing Frank Navasky, Meg Ryan's boyfriend at the beginning. He writes for uh, The Observer. <laughs> and we've got the always funny Heather Burns and Steve Zahn and Gene Stapleton as Christina, George, and Bertie, who are Meg Ryan's employees at her little bookstore named The Shop Around the Corner. We've got Dave Chappelle playing Kevin, the one African-American in this film, as a worker for Tom Hanks at his bookstore. And the last name of note really would be Dabney Coleman, who plays Tom Hanks' father, who has had many children with many wives, mainly from nannies. Um Anyway, that's the main cast. They're all wonderful. And now we can just kind of go through whatever we talk about with the movie. And I would just love to start with the opening credits are absolutely charming. The more time between now and then, they just get cuter and cuter to me. Yeah, starting the (laughs) – instead of having the fanfare behind the – production logo having the the tapping of the keyboard and then the connecting to the uh telephone internet um sure there's a more elegant phrase for that um but that whole thing and then transitioning into the the late 90s computer animated upper west side it it uh it kind of makes you feel like it was 25 years ago but also like it wasn't at the same time yeah, it feels very timeless. And I think the transition from the old-timey animation into where they click on it and it goes into, you know, you just seen the animated runner and it spreads out into real life and then the animated runner turns real and runs across. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Although that animated, the little animated runner looks like roly-poly Oli. <laughs> just like <laughs> squares with triangles and <laughs> circles. <laughs> I think that's what makes it work even better. It's just, I don't know. It's charming. It was 1998. <laughs> I just think it's cute. It is. And... Uh, when the dial-up song happens, I was just like, oh, I'm being transported back in time. <laughs> yeah, every just time you in... hear the dial-up noise, I just both cringe and I'm like, oh, simpler times. <laughs> Plugging in... Uh, it... If we had net zero internet and having to dial up. Oh, yeah. My mom going, I have to make a call and having to <laughs> unplug it. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, that the reason we only got those blocks in the animation is because we didn't have time to download anything more detailed than that because someone would have to use the phone before it was finished. So we had to exactly. make those blocks. <laughs> I was going to say, the blocks are cute, though. They, it, is, it is a cute opening. It's very, It does... This is gonna age us real fun, but it's very much kind of a time capsule because it's a very specific period of time, like in life, especially the nineties. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the internet was just first getting... I feel like this was what... <laughs> Did AOL Instant Messenger really get... Was it already big by 1998? Because <clears throat> I was a little bit younger, so... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I used AOL Instant Messenger a lot, but I was wondering that while I was watching because near the... I don't want to jump ahead, but near the end of the movie, they, they chat a little bit instead of just sending emails. Mm-hmm. And they're using Messenger in... I'm pretty sure that that the versions of Messenger that I used were later than that because they didn't they looked different. Uh-huh. And reading on the like the details of the movie on Wikipedia and IMDb, a lot of the technology and stuff in there was just slightly ahead of what consumers had access to. Like the laptops and things were like just coming out. Oh wow. The version of AOL was slightly newer than what you could get. It was just about to come out. So, I think I mean I think you could be right that that there were a lot of I don't know. I don't know exactly how old the two of you are, <laughs> um, but whatever, whatever home internet. 29, becoming, always. 29. Okay. Uh, so I'm, so I'm like a decade, I'm like a decade older than you guys. No, I, I, 29, I, but. <laughs> yeah, I, and often I turn 34 next month. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's close, but like when, when the internet first started coming into people's houses, like my parents were terrified of like, people are going to find out your name and come to your house and kill you or whatever. And so I, I, I do yes. kind of wonder your house I, out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yes. They'll track me down. Um, and I do, I don't have any evidence for this whatsoever, but the movie was such a huge hit that I do kind of wonder if seeing Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks using AOL instant messenger and really you don't see much internet use. Like they don't, they don't use the internet. You don't see them searching on search engines or things like that. You see them in AOL. Well, because that would have taken the entire two hours <laughs> yeah. to download a page. Yeah. And so I do kind of wonder and, if it made it seem safer. You know, it's something. So maybe it did help with adoption. Maybe. Well, by the, I, I did a little bit of research into it. And like by the late 90s, it was really popular. It started to become popular with college students. And it was starting to become popular with like more people, especially AIM, Instant Messenger. Um, and so, I mean, by this point, yeah, they would be using you know, email and chat rooms and instant messenger way more frequently. So I, I think if, even if this, if it was already popular, I do feel like this one really did like, I mean, the words you've got mail are like synonymous with this movie. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, so, I mean, it's, it, I think it's, even if it's not, it's still uh, like this movie did have a real big part of the zeitgeist of the, of like aim yeah and it's, oh sorry it's, yeah no I, <laughs> um, one thing that that i was kind of thinking sean you were talking about and you've mentioned a couple times how it how it's kind of a time capsule and i think i think it i think you know and clayton has talked about how it's timeless i think in some ways you know sometimes movies will try to avoid any kind of specificity because they're afraid that it will age the movie but i think a lot of times what actually ends up happening is that you end up with a lot of unintentional signifiers of the era. And so you end up in sort of this weird amorphous time period where you can tell that it's old, older, but there's, it's also not very specific. So in some ways, the way that this movie just embraces, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of the brand, some of the brand placement and stuff later. (laughs) The way that it just really embraces, like, this is the late 90s, and these are the things people were doing, and these are the actual literal brands. Um, I think it it does kind of 
it's timeless in the sense that it actually it, it, there's actually an attempt to capture a very specific era instead of like we want this to age really well so we're going to strip out all identifying markers there's something about being specific that actually gives it a certain certain kind of timelessness i think it's it's just very confident in what it is and where it's set in time and i think that really works for it i mean really when you think of the movies that are really timeless that do i mean whether they age well with the politics and stuff or not (laughs) right but as far as like timeless movies and stuff like casablanca it's very clearly the age it is yeah and other things i think they are the ones that actually age better that don't try to like okay we want this to just be it could be whenever Um, (laughs) yeah because you can't really do that especially visually because just even film techniques i mean you can't really be we don't we exist in all eras so i think embracing it i think it i think it really works especially i mean in this movie it it works it's kind of like it's kind of like a period piece but it was made in the period that it was that it yeah. was set in. Where period I legitimately was going to say period piece. That's funny. Cause, you know, because period pieces will really emphasize those, you know, you watch Mad Men and the things that they do are like, oh, this is something people were doing in the late 50s and early 60s. And it's intentional to trigger those things in your head. And even though it was made in the late 90s, it, this, it kind of serves the same thing. And it almost does feel like a period piece now, even though at the time, Whereas other movies, maybe not so much. It just feels like this is an old movie. <laughs> um, so there's just, there's something about it. I, I can't articulate it exactly, but I think there is something about that that makes it better. I agree. I agree completely. Well, was, also, oh, go on, a sorry. nostalgia. Sorry, I was going to say, it's also a nostalgia factor, I think. Like, yeah. especially for us, because we do remember those times. Like, maybe <laughs> not, like, specifically, specifically, like... By the end of the 90s, I, I was nine, which you could do the math if you'd like. But <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, like I but I remember AIM and I remember people talking about it. And like my family didn't get a computer until I was like 12. And so, I mean, like we but I remember these things were becoming big. I remember you've got mail being advertised like, you know, a lot of the things like in the movie like this is when like we'll talk about the product placement later but like starbucks was really becoming big and all these things like it really it does it kind of feels like a period piece it's like a nice little chunk of your childhood you know placed in a movie i will say speaking of the product placement i laughed so hard when they went to starbucks and it was like two (laughs) and they it was like two dollars when he's going on his thing about like you get a really satisfying sense of self for only like two dollars and i was just like Ooh, yeah starbucks two dollars and 95 cents <laughs> no not for a caramel macchiato <laughs> <laughs> yeah i will say the nostalgia is kind of weird like i know how i saw it when i was a kid and obviously you view think view things as a child differently than as an adult and i still really love it but the things I thought were funny when I was a kid and the things that I think are funny now are so wildly different <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> uh, just for a quick example, when she tells him she forgot to vote and he's like, I forgive you. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. But as an actual person in their 30s, you know, the same age as the characters were in the movie. And just thinking about being in a relationship and that happening. <laughs> it's just it's, yeah. it's, it's hysterical now. 
And I'm like, no wonder this movie did so well. Like, that would have been great for adults to just go see this and all of the little things in it. And I mean, even that, she's so specific between the mayoral race between Giuliani and whoever the other one was. Yeah. Um, I like, it's just so specific. I love it. I also yeah. really miss rom-coms like this. And I feel like we could discuss that for a while, the state of rom-coms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, talking about, before we get off the specificity, I just wanted to say that that's something that, that I noticed when reading her essays and things that Nora Ephron just does throughout all of her stuff, even her novel. Um, novels also kind of do the thing a lot of times where they try to avoid mentioning specific time markers, but she doesn't do that. Um, and I think that that, I think that really makes the, the nostalgia factor hit <laughs> a lot more because it's not like, oh, yes, I remember generic coffee shop. <laughs> it's like, I remember, even though I was older, you know, the first time you, you go to the big city or whatever, when you grew up in a little town, like we did, you go to Starbucks or whatever. And it's like, I'm living now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Unless you're, no, me, and you're you absolutely just don't right. like coffee, but <laughs> yeah, I, I know you're strange. You're strange. I have. But I completely agree with you. And the thing is, it's like when you're like real people will reference things they've seen in a movie or things they see in real life. Like, and that's one of the things that it, I think you're absolutely right is her like when writers reference things that happen in the real world. Sometimes it will date it a little bit, but it also it gives it a real sense of like of of re reality really yeah like there are many times where you're just like you're like you said generic coffee shop it's just like went in got small coffee ha 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 <laughs> like i'm like what am i playing the sims like i you know like it, it it's just it's an easier way to add a dose of reality because you know yeah, people yeah. who talk in quotes and or they're you know like oh, yeah. going to starbucks <laughs> sir i'm one of those people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The same. Yeah. The, the other thing is that I don't think, even though there's a lot of brand placement, it is a tad bit jarring. It is it is organic to the to the movie. There's not there's not like a lot of reference. I mean, there's in fact I don't know that there's any like reference comedy or things like that where it's like, oh hey, I recognize that's Starbucks. They just they're going to Starbucks because they live in New York on the Upper West Side in 1998 when Starbucks is expanding there, and it's a thing. You kind of get a little. Um, you know, a little a little poetry about Starbucks uh, from the email that that uh, Meg Ryan's character's writing. When you get that big shot of Starbucks, the individuality phrase that you guys mentioned, uh, and so it's it, it works. Not to beat a dead horse, but but it works. I think it works very well. Uh, as far as product placement movies, I think this is one of the best of them because it actually <laughs> it fits in the story. The product placement isn't just like, I'm going to look at my Rolex watch and get a shot of the brand name. Um, oh, the... but come on. I mean, <laughs> I you may be right about it's among the best, but like, it is blatant. <laughs> like, it is IBM, AOL, Starbucks. Like, I mean, those are just the first 10 minutes of the movie. Like, like <laughs> this is the first five minutes of the movie. Like, yeah. you leave the opening credits and you're getting product placement. I was like, whoa, <laughs> hello, multiple times. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually think there might be something 
it might maybe over analyzing, but I think there actually may be something kind of clever going on with all the product placement um, within the themes of the movie where you've got the small, you know, unbranded bookstore that's being run out of business by, I mean, it was Barnes and Noble basically. Yes. Um, and so even though the characters don't mention it and maybe don't even realize it, you're, they're actually having the same thing happen with, you know, Starbucks is moving into this giant location and these smaller coffee shops around Starbucks, you know, are closing down and there's just a thing. And it's kind of funny because with Tom Hanks character, they, they kind of want to have it both ways, which makes sense because he's the romantic lead, <laughs> but you have that that's the first time that he meets with his associates in the office and they're all very excited about the bookstore and he's happy that he closed the deal, but also sort of complaining, you know, another piece of architecture turned into baby gap. Um, and so I think, I think there, I think that the product placement actually may serve a little bit of a, a thematic purpose in that you see all of these large corporations and actually you even see it in some of the more personal moments where you have the, the two celebrations where the little girl is singing kind of in this more formal, everyone is sitting and watching her. And then you have uh, Meg Ryan's group from the bookstore singing songs around the piano all together. There's kind of this, it's like the corporate small business version of the snobs versus the slobs that kind of runs through it. And I think the product placement contributes to that theme whether that was intentional or not i think it does kind of I, work i at feel the like same it time. was intentional nora efron is very very smart i don't think she would have uh done that unintentionally yeah. but also i think that the, i think that one thing that's interesting about the movie is even though it's clearly on the side of meg ryan's character it i think that there is i think there is an element that uh of the script that says hey it's okay to like these big box stores it's okay to like starbucks it's okay to so there is kind of a kind of a both sides sort of thing going on there that's that's interesting it actually creates some tension throughout because even meg ryan at the end of the movie when she goes to fox and company or whatever the bookstore is called she doesn't want to be impressed but she's a little impressed <laughs> um so there's kind of there is just kind of that thing that runs through the entire film that creates yeah. creates some interesting tension i think anyway i'll actually jump ahead since you mentioned that in my notes i was going to ask you do you think this is pro or anti corporations <laughs> that is a really good question i think i think on a personal level it's anti because i don't think you're ever on tom hanks side as far as you don't actually want him to put um, the shop around the corner out of business. The, the the movie never indicates that you're supposed to feel that way all the way to um, the the scene near the end where, uh, what what is Meg Ryan's character in the movie? I cannot remember her name. I just keep saying Kathleen Meg Ryan. Kelly. Yes. <laughs> Kathleen Kelly. Kathleen Kelly. My name is Kathleen Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> um, where Kathleen is remembering, you know, dancing with her mother and you get an actual sort of like grounding emotional moment about the store. I don't think on a personal level, you're ever supposed to be on Tom Hanks' side. But at the same time, you know, one of her associates goes to work at the bookstore pretty much immediately, and nothing in the script seems to indicate, or or even in Kathleen's reaction, seems to indicate that we should be 
feeling negatively toward that person for that. When she goes to the bookstore, she helps the person find the book. I think there's an element of it where I think, I think, I think ultimately it is a little pro corporation, big picture. It, it kind of takes mm -hmm. Joe Fox's position of it's not personal, it's business <laughs> and makes that one of the movie where it's like, you shouldn't be mean, but also like these big companies, these big corporations are providing something the small places can't provide. It never really leans into the idea that um, something like Barnes and Noble is a little soulless. It mentions it early on, but later in the movie, it doesn't really lean into the idea that a store like that is kind of soulless and maybe more profit focused than the small bookstore. And outside of the logic of the movie, if I was looking at that, I would think, well, that really sucks. They put, <laughs> you know, they put this, this long time bookstore out of business, but I don't think the movie really guides you to that conclusion. I think once her bookstore is out of business, they switch focus completely to the interpersonal relationship between Kathleen and Joe and the viewer, if they remember the whole bookstore plot kind of have to resolve that in their own mind. Well, and I actually, I, I, I disagree with you just a little bit okay. there because I do think they actually bring it up when she goes after it closes and she goes to the Fox <laughs> bookstore and she's sitting there and she's just, you know, she's, she might be a little impressed, but then behind her, uh, the woman asked for the shoe books and the the clerk has no idea who it is yeah. anything so like he has like it's he's just a worker there like for her like the books were her whole life like since she was six years old she was working there and so yeah. I, I like she she's the one that gives them the information for it so I do think that in some ways it kind of it's it's basically saying she's right. It was it, like they're in. It's impersonal. Like this is not a spot. But the I see you're on both sides, and that's one of the things I don't like about this movie. Is like it doesn't take a stance on either side. <laughs> like it's it's very much like oh we're pro the little people, but the big ones aren't so bad either. <laughs> and I'm like, and so for me, I'm like I, I I don't know what this movie is trying to say about it, and I I. I me i'm more for smaller you know less corporate america and like but that's just me personally but yeah. like I, I would prefer it to watch a, a movie that has something to say about it like and i understand there are merits to both but yeah. it gives a bunch of ideas about both of them and then i don't think it actually follows through with either yeah and so I that's think... my one thing with that <laughs> is i just I'm yeah, like, that... what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's a good point. Um, I, I have forgotten about the the employee there at the end. Um, one thing one thing that I did consider when I was watching it is maybe the message isn't so much pro or anti as this is happening, <laughs> because in that era, like it was just kind of the thing. I mean, places like Borders and Barnes and Noble were just steamrolling bookstores. And it was like, it didn't really matter in a way, in a sense, if you were pro or anti, because you couldn't change it. Just like Meg Ryan's character in the movie, she she can do everything she wants. She can hold all the promotions and talk to all the authors. But ultimately, she just doesn't have the resources. She's going to be run out of business. And you kind of know that you might not, you might think that the movie will pull it out at the end because it's a romantic comedy, but if you start with sort of like a realistic view, you just know, like at the beginning, she's talking to, um, don't remember who she's talking to, but she says, you know, it's going to be like, uh, the, the flower district, you know, there's going to be big flower stores and small flower stores. And, and the woman that she's talking to 
obviously thinks that's pie in the sky and maybe she does too but as yeah. the audience you she's know older what it... <laughs> she's lived through stuff she is just kind of like she doesn't pop her bubble but she's just kind of like okay yeah yeah well, I, and, and you're absolutely right and that's why i'm i am going on record and saying this movie is a tragedy not a comedy <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I teared up more for that than i did for anything like when she's closing the shop and she sees her mom dancing with her i was like <laughs> They should have just ended it right here. Like, <laughs> like I, like I, I was literally, I was. I, that was the part that moved me the most, and it's not the romance about this. It was, it, it was like being a little fish being eaten by a shark, and I mean, and that's a lot of what has happened. Is corporate America has taken over so much of everything? Yeah. Like it's so hard for mom and pops to survive, and, and I. It- I, sorry go ahead <laughs> no I, i'm sorry I, I i jumped in go ahead no you're good i was i no. was just gonna i i'm just uh, waxing poetic at this <laughs> point and uh, it's just one of those you know it's uh, that's what i don't know i i think they focusing on the romantic aspect of it it I, I, it humanizes it in some way but it's also i i for me at least it focused on the wrong story yeah. I will uh, say, uh, as much as everything's eating everything up, I'm pretty sure we all buy a lot of stuff from Amazon and have it delivered <laughs> to our door. At the time, would we have gone to a small bookstore? Yeah, I loved walking around them, but I didn't buy at them. They were too expensive. I loved when Barnes and & Noble and Borders and stuff <laughs> opened. Yeah, and it's funny with books in particular. It's kind of interesting industry-wise because the, the, in this movie, um, in 1998, Amazon was a little nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually what ended up happening is that these bookstores ran most of the little bookstores out of business, but then Amazon, the biggest bookstore, <laughs> um, ate all of these other bookstores so that now borders is out of business and books a million is more or less out of business. And Barnes and Noble has on an- trouble They're on, they've closed a lot of locations and yeah, they're on their way out. So you actually have an even more impersonal experience that, that in a lot of ways is, is actively without getting into the politics of it is, is actively harmful to a lot of book related industry in general. But the upside to the extent that there's an upside is that small bookstores that are like niche kind of bookstores have actually started to become a significant market share again, because they fill a different type of need than Amazon does. The, the problem with those large bookstores is they were, they managed to run those other bookstores out because they were the biggest and the cheapest. So the store that's even bigger and cheaper and more convenient was always going to run those out. So there's just been kind of a weird inversion as time has gone on where I I was just in New York um, a couple months ago and I was actually in the Upper West Side. I was bragging to Clayton about this last night while I was watching the movie. Um, (laughs) I love love going to New York. This last time I was there was the first time I'd stayed on the Upper West Side. And I walked all around there. I actually went into the Barnes & Noble where Fox Books is set in the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also went into Shakespeare Books, which is the bookstore that Meg Ryan's bookstore is based on. The Barnes & Noble going in there did put them out of business and they reopened a couple years later in a different location. Um, And um, and in that area now, there's a Barnes and Noble. That Barnes and Noble is still there, but there are probably a dozen bookstores within a mile of there that are small, little like niche, you know, used bookstores or bookstores, you know, an occult bookstore or 
you know, whatever, like just think that, that cater to like niche interests. Right. Um, so it's, it's interesting just the way that things progressed in ways that maybe that, you know, there's no way that people in 1998 would have known, but it's, it's kind of interesting to look at. And New York itself has always kind of, I mean, it's always changing so much. Always. And I mean, they even talk about that in the movie. Meg Ryan has a thing. She's when she talks about the baby, she's like, I would normally talk about, you know, it's a tribute to New York and how it's always changing. And, but it's sad. And my store is going to be something depressing, like a baby gap. <laughs> that, that, that was a great line, by the way. Oh, I know. I, I love that. I love that. Something depressing, like a baby gap. Very I think that is the funniest <laughs> line in the movie because I actually used to work at it was like a big huge gap story there was like gap and then next to it was gap children and then the last one was maternity slash baby gap mm. and i had worked there during a holiday season one year and anyway that line i think is very funny because <laughs> a baby gap is about the most depressing place you can think of from a wonderful nice little cozy bookstore to a baby gap <laughs> Uh, should I give you my favorite line now? Because it's still the same. <laughs> go, go for yeah. it. Oh, so my favorite line of it was when uh, they, like, she's supposed to be meeting um, NY152 in the coffee shop, and he's kind of antagonizing her a little bit. And she, <laughs> she's like, just Joe. And he's like, uh, and she goes, as if you're one of those stupid 22-year-old girls with no last name. Hi, I'm Kimberly. Hi, I'm Janice. Don't they know you're <laughs> supposed to have a last name? It's like they're an entire generation of cocktail waitresses. And that was <laughs> my, like, I literally, I laughed out loud <laughs> when we were watching it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, yes, that, that was, that's my favorite line of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's my other than oh I'm sorry go ahead <laughs> no so I, I think my favorite line is whenever um he's going whenever Joe is going to meet Kathleen and he's having um Dave Chappelle look in the window to to give him the the, the rundown and he's like uh she she's almost got the same coloring as Kathleen Kelly <laughs> and and. <laughs> And Joe says something back and he says, she looks a lot like Kathleen Kelly. If you don't like Kathleen Kelly, you're not going to like her. And he says, why not? He says, because she is Kathleen Kelly. And just the <laughs> delivery of that, I, I really got a kick out of that. Oh, it was. There are a lot of great lines in it, though. Some of them aren't necessarily laugh lines, but they're just really sharp. Yes, the... I love the dialogue in this movie. There's so many... I don't know how many times I'm just talking to someone and I'm like, you are a lone read. <laughs> 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 or just like somebody's talking about coffee and i'm just like uh, patricia makes coffee nervous <laughs> and uh, the whole um the butterfly <laughs> the butterfly on the sub on the subway that whole little thing i don't know why i have said this in person more than once i feel like that shouldn't be a line that i should ever say in real life but i have um <laughs> I think usually it's the context of somebody buying a hat. <laughs> once I read Which a book is usually about a mistake. Book, yeah. <laughs> once I read a book about a butterfly on a subway, and today I saw one. It got on at 52nd and off at 59th, where I assume <laughs> it was going to Bloomingdale's to buy a hat, which would turn out to be a mistake, as almost all hats are. And it just Meg Ryan delivers it so well. 
And yeah, even it, the voiceover in this movie, voiceover oh, is man. either great or awful. And I think in this movie, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I was just thinking while I was watching it, like um, the the whole device of a good 20% of the movie is Tom Hanks or Meg Ryan sitting in front of their device with a voiceover of their voice reading the emails that they're typing. And if you look at, if you were to look at that on a script page, you would think this is going to just be cringe. <laughs> um, but the, the writing in those emails is so sharp. It, it is a little funny because I just think like nobody on earth has ever written emails that sounded like this, but no, um, <laughs> but, but they're so good and they, and they move, they move the plot along, but they, they do such, they do so much heavy lifting with character development. By the time they finish that first email exchange, before the plot of the movie even begins, you already have mm -hmm. a strong grasp of their characters. And it's, and, and the whole device, I mean, it's, it's almost like the, the Shakespearean mistaken identity thing that they do because neither, neither of them know who the other person is, but where, you know, they have the big confrontation at the party and then they're writing to each other about the big the fight same they had <laughs> and they are able to, it's actually, there's, there's kind of an insight about communication going on there where because they have detachment, <laughs> they're able to talk to each other reasonably about this thing where if they were face to face and knew who each other were, they wouldn't be able to do it. And it just works. It just really works. And it just feels so much like it shouldn't. Like if you just think about it, you just think, man, this, this is just the kind of thing that could go wrong so easily. It's very much like, <laughs> what do they call them? Like a comedy of errors, like just a, mistake i i love stories like that i mean it's classic rom-com stuff you know they oh, yeah. hate each other in real life and then fall in love but this one adds the little thing of that they don't know who they are. like <laughs> they really hate each other in real life yeah but with not knowing who they are like they're in love and just how to like bring that together and it there's also kind of a funny little nod to that in their first interaction where again they don't know like I, I guess Joe knows who she is, but she doesn't know who he is. And in that interaction, they get along fine. It's really nice. It's like a little meet cute thing. Whereas if she had known who he was, it, it would not have mm -hmm. gone that way. So you kind of get it, it's just very clever the way that, the way that it structures their relationship, and it actually makes it. I think I think the I think them getting together at the end is also something that's very hard to sell if you just look at the bare bones of what's happening, <laughs> because. I mean, honestly, what what Joe does to her life by shutting down her bookstore is pretty horrific by romantic comedy standards. I mean, mm -hmm. it's normally I something like horrific by any standard. <laughs> Sean, <laughs> Sean had a lot of problems with this. A lot. I, uh, nope. I was just like, huh? Nope. I I don't think I could forgive him. I. I, I know we're all human and like he says it wasn't personal but like like she says it was personal to her like yeah. that was all she had like really all she had from her mother like that was what she had like yeah. I could not imagine having my family business that has been open for 47 years which mm -hmm. just be destroyed by a corporation and then fall in love with the guy that did it <laughs> I would be no. I would. Uh -uh, I'm sorry. Thank you. This was fun. Don't email me again. Like, and, <laughs> but you know something that I think works with the movie is I think that it would have been 100% legitimate, and I actually think it probably still would have been. I think probably the audience would have been okay with it if she just said, 
you know what? No, <laughs> at the end. Yeah. But I think, but I think they make the characters complex enough that even though, like, even being fine with that happening because it's a romantic comedy, I think it's a little bit like, eh, like, is this a good idea? But I can kind of buy because I because I to me they they come across as fairly well defined people and people make decisions like that all the time. I actually um, asked my wife about it um because because i thought this just seems this doesn't seem right to me and she she said you know if that basically she's able to buy it because if you find somebody who you feel like really really understands you on some deep level you're willing to give up that yeah, pretty much anything so i don't know I, I mean i think there's probably a big personal element to it for me i'm probably with you sean i, I think for me that would be it seems like yeah. at minimum that would always be in the background there. Like you, you could forgive it. It's like anytime you have an argument, you know, you did this. Well, you know what? You shut down my bookstore that my family had run for 50 years. <laughs> and so it's it just, it, they're just, uh, but, but I was, but I am able to buy that, that they get together at the end and maybe, and I, and I think it's legitimate to not be able to buy that. I don't know if that's what you're, I don't know if you're going that far or not. It was, but it was better on the second watch for me. The first watch, I was just like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> like, like, I literally looked at Clayton. I was just like, "This is your comfort movie? Like, are you insane? This is awful." Like, I, I was like, "Yeah, it's witty and it's fun, and like, I guess it's teaching us to not judge a book by its cover." <laughs> um, but I. I was just like, no. <laughs> and I was, I was dreading having to rewatch it because I was just like, I mean, I, it's, is it, it was, I mean, it's beautifully made. Like, it's not a bad movie. I just, I didn't like what it was saying. And then I rewatched it on this time and I was just like, I get that she's recognizing that he's a human and he makes mistakes. And, and, and in a lot of ways, what he says, it's not it's it's not personal it's just business and i think that's what she takes to mind when mm -hmm. he says it and like once she explains like the person like it was personal to her and she sees that he's kind of chastised i think that starts to change how she feels about him a little bit more mm -hmm. um and i think that's that's what gets me to the end goal but i didn't I was so angry the first time we watched it, <laughs> and I didn't really like that scene. I was like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, get out, get out of her apartment. <laughs> like, yeah, just go. Like, <laughs> she said she didn't want to see you, just go. Like, <laughs> and so I, I mean, I got there, I got there on this feeling, and I was like, okay, I see where it's coming from. And they are two people who are human and they're making mistakes and, 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 you know, they're learning to forgive each other for him or for she's learning to forgive him for it. But like, I just, I don't know if like, I'm generally a pretty understanding person. I try to be a nice guy, <laughs> but like this one, I was like, this is not just you, this is your legacy. And like, she's all the people coming in at like when, before the store's closing and they're like, your mom did this and that. And it's like, oh my god like <laughs> her mother touched all these people and then it's just like well, joe fox and i'm like no joe fox fox off okay joe fox off okay <laughs> i'm going to jump in here and remind you both of something very important 
Joe didn't do this personally. This was a big corporation run by his family. They put up the store. He didn't even know her. It's not like he personally tried to put her out of business. His store just opened and people went there and not to hers. Like it wasn't like he personally went on this vendetta to shut her store down. No, but at the beginning, when they're talking in business, they're all of them are just like, ha, 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 all the little independent corporations, another one bites the dust. Like, he's part, he's, he's literally part of that. Like, it, it's not like he's, he's saying, oh, I, it, you know, and you're right, he's, he, he didn't know. But like, he's still, after knowing what he's personally, like, and it's not even, like you said, it's not personal. But for, like, someone else, it is. And, like, he doesn't recognize that. He doesn't recognize his own complicity in what happened. Because no matter what happens, his last name is Fox. And that is a name on the thing. And he is a vice president of the company. And, yes, I mean, they would have still built it? Absolutely. But I'm also at, I, I'm of the point where it's just, like, I, you never hear him say, like, I'm sorry for what happened. Like... Uh, it, it's it, like he he gets kind of chastised a little bit, but I don't really think there's a moment like the closest thing to an apology is when he comes with the daisies, and I like I, I just that scene. and I just I don't maybe I'm just maybe I'm too emotionally I guess immature for it, but as of right now, like and I mean she's also been speaking to him for months now on through the emails but like even when he comes to her apartment and then comes in with like like when she says i don't want you here like uh, that would have just bothered me even more so the fact that she starts forgiving him there like i was just like i i get it but i don't get it like well that's just it's a romantic comedy thing like that's one of those things that just happens in romantic comedies and they've got such good chemistry and at that point, like, he does know her, even though, like, she... And she does know him, even though she doesn't know it. Which, I mean, we'll get into that later. But uh. it's just... It's so cute, and I buy it. And, you know, when you really have a connection with someone that challenges you and really gets you, <laughs> you are willing to put a lot aside. And it's like, she'll I, always have those memories with her mother. Just, it was a place. She'll still have that. But it's very rare to find somebody that really gets you. And I don't know. I buy it. I Yeah, I, I think, Clayton, what are your thoughts? Because this seems related to what you're saying. And, and we haven't really talked about it. What are your thoughts about the original partners? When I was reading about the the originals and the various other remakes because there's been a bunch of remakes of the original russian play that the jimmy stewart movie was based on <laughs> um and this is the only one that was mentioned where both parties were already in a relationship at the beginning of of it and it's very interesting the way they play that because neither of the partners are like bad um that scene in the movie theater or maybe this scene with the interview which is one of the great scenes in the movie in my opinion um or Greg Kinnear's worst moments. But what they say <laughs> whenever they end up breaking up is true. Like on paper, they look like they'd be a perfect match. Mm -hmm. um, but they just don't actually connect. And so I think that theme of connection is is something that's in there. And and same with Tom Hanks and um, Parker Posey's character. 
you know, he's kind of laid back, but he's also, you know, type A aggressive kind of personality or can be. And cut, so is she. Cutthroat businessman and she's yeah. a cutthroat. <laughs> and they're never, they're never like in a lot of romantic comedies, it's like, well, of course, <laughs> you know, Sarah left Mark because Mark chose to stay in the city instead of going, you know, to see her sick mother or something like that. They like they set them up to kind of be the bad guys. Or like in Ghost where the other where the boyfriend is like literally the villain. But they don't really do that in this movie. The 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 original partners seem like fine matches, but they're just not. And so it seems like it ties into this connection thing you're talking about. I actually find that really fascinating <clears throat> because if you just Take this movie at face value and look at it. You've got Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks in the late 90s. I mean, America's sweethearts. Nobody didn't like Meg Ryan or Tom Hanks. People still, I mean, Meg Ryan took a step back from acting, but I mean, I don't think anybody's ever said a bad word about Tom Hanks or Meg Ryan. Right. <laughs> and this movie starts out, and they're essentially, you know, debatable by people's standards but emotionally cheating on the people that they're with who aren't mm -hmm. bad people. And it gets kind of hand-waved away, and it ends. Uh, it's one of those that both relationships end amicably. Mm -hmm. But well, I do find they... it fascinating that I don't imagine that Parker Posey and Tom Hanks had a... She didn't seem like they were... I don't know. They didn't seem like they were really, again, connected. I think she probably had a dramatic fight about it because it's Parker Posey. And I'm really sad we didn't get to see that scene. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, he was like, you know, I got on the elevator and then when I got off, I moved out. And I don't know. I just do find it fascinating that they started off this romantic comedy with our two stars essentially cheating with their partners with each other before yeah. all of this like there is a lot going on in this movie yeah well and i think i think the greg kinnear and 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 meg ryan relationship is actually even more interesting because we get we get two scenes where we see conflict with them and one of them the conflict is extremely passive uh where he's watching his interview with that with the newswoman mm -hmm. which is that scene is, is just so good and I, I texted clayton about this last night too but you mind if I if I say basically what I said oh, to you? Oh no, please do. <laughs> I don't want anything you said. But <clears throat> anything you say, feel free to go on and feel free to tangents for the most fun. But one thing that is so great about Nora Ephron's stuff, and especially Heartburn, which is her which is her novel, um, is that I got it because I figured it would be funny, and it is very funny. But it is quite a dark book. Um, I, there's actually a movie of it which I haven't seen. Um, but the whole storyline is this woman. She's like a middle aged woman, and she slowly discovers that her husband is is cheating on her and she leave i can't remember if she leaves or he leaves but the whole thing is basically like her spiral after they divorce and at the end i don't recall if she's with anybody at the end i don't think so it's not like a super depressing book but it's definitely it's pretty dark <laughs> um and it doesn't have like a super happy ending and reading that really has informed my watching of the movies of hers I've seen since, and especially this viewing of you've got mail, because this scene where they're, where they're watching this interview that he gave with this woman. So it's just so brilliantly set up because the whole idea is Kathleen asked him to do this, to support her bookstore. And so they're watching this, they're watching this and he's, he's very concerned, you know, are you recording this? Are you recording this? And he's not trying to be a jerk. Nothing he's doing is aggressively being a jerk, but 
he's very he's the even the way that it's shot it's kind of you got kind of a frontal view of him and she's kind of behind him in the background it's very focused on him and he's also very focused on him he's very proud of the things he said in the interview yeah, through, he's self-effacing the, the whole entire movie <laughs> with him he's always just like loves when people have read his stuff and <laughs> yes like if somebody's reading his thing like he's literally mouthing along with it and really excited <laughs> i mean he's very impressed with himself <laughs> yes but you know we're talking remember... about typewriter <laughs> yes it, yes um, but <laughs> but whenever we see him actually interacting with with kathleen i mean he's very i think he comes across as very kind very genuine he's just a little a little up his own butt Mm -hmm. um but then in this scene like it starts off and it's kind of funny but she you know she's saying things to him and he's kind of wait you, you're gonna really like this part you're gonna really like this part and he's kind of mouthing along which is funny like the the scenario is funny but the way that it's shot as it goes on you focus more and more on meg ryan's reactions and they're mostly silent behind him and you can just see her growing more and more dismayed after she points out that that the woman is hitting on him and he says no no and and then from that point on what's happening with her is dramatic. What's happening in the scene is comedic, but what's happening with her is dramatic. And it just made me think of these dark threads that kind of go through the thing where it's not some heavy dramatic scene, but there's actually heavy dramatic things going on there because it's treating the characters seriously, even though what's happening is, is funny to us, like him sitting there mouthing his own words during this interview and being oblivious supposedly to being flirted with. It's funny or like this or like the scene in the theater. Very funny scene. But also, if you put yourself in that situation, like him saying, I forgive you, man, that's like slapping oh, in the I face. Would be, it's so, so funny, but it's so I would be so angry. Like, <laughs> I would be so angry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, if they hadn't been in a theater, I mean, you just know the next line would be you forgive me, you know, and then it blooms in this huge fight. Instead, she gets up and walks out. It's funny. But there's actual like human drama going on under there that is real and relatable. People who've been in Absolutely. any kind of relationship. And so I think that's part of what makes some of the weird sort of little darker things in the movie work for me. Even some of the ending stuff, because you just kind of see that like these relationships look really great on paper. And in some ways, like day to day, they're completely fine. But they just they just not they're just not well, quite right. And I mean, you don't see too much of the Parker Posey and Tom Hanks one, but in yeah. in the Meg Ryan, Greg Kinnear one, like she's checked out. Like she's not a <laughs> hundred on it. Like even from the beginning, like she literally waits for him to sneak away so she can get on AIM. Like, and then even when he comes back with another typewriter, she's like another one that looks the same as this one. You know, like <laughs> she doesn't really. It, it doesn't feel like they're. Like, it feels like they like each other, but they're, like, yeah. nowhere in love. Like, they would be good friends or something like that. Yeah. And, and that's – and I think that's what you're – I get where you're coming from because yeah. then it shows the people that look like they're tailor-made for them are just completely separate. And then, you know, the person you meet in a chat room is your true love. <laughs> yeah. And the Not movie something does I'd kind say of... <laughs> often in a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the movie definitely does kind of hand wave the – I mean, the fact that they're in fairly serious relationships with these with these people, although we don't ever find I think Tom Hanks mentions how long he's been with Parker Posey. I don't remember if well, really all, mentions it, but she well, really, all it says <laughs> is that one thing with she's like, oh, yeah, I'm practically living with Frank. So, I mean, they've been together assumedly a while because yeah. in your 30s. 
you know, you're not just going to jump into living with someone. But they are actually living together, <laughs> at least at the beginning of the movie. It doesn't sound like. I mean, no, maybe they she are, said we're they... practically living together was her yeah. exact line. So, uh, you know, that's where you're probably mostly staying at one of their houses. And yeah. And uh, Parker Posey and Tom Hanks, when Dave Chappelle's like, oh, you've got engaged. And he's just like, what? And then he's like, oh, right. I love Patricia. <laughs> um, so like uh, somebody thought, you know, they might have been engaged. At yeah, the, that's, you know, that's true. So sure. clearly they've been in a relationship long enough for people to think this stuff like Meg Ryan's basically living with Greg Kinnear, Parker Posey and Tom Hanks could potentially be getting engaged. Like they're serious relationships. I yeah. just, there's not a yeah. well, spark I, left there. Yeah. And I think the movie does hand wave it a little, but I also think that it leaves space. I mean, you can, I was actually surprised just throughout the whole movie Um and I think it's believable because people are like this, but I was just surprised that um, at how much um, they let Tom Hanks actually be the antagonist. Like he's mm -hmm. in those couple fights they have, he is very, very mean. I mean, he, he really just jumps straight to the, you know, straight to the meanest things he can think of. And he even talks about it when he emails her about it later. Like, yeah, I, and um, I mean, it's it's very cruel. I mean, if you saw someone do that to someone in real life, you would be like, man, alive. And and I had that kind of that because the movie's kind of kind of candy coated, you know, kind of sweet a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But those those fights that they have, especially the the I think it's the first one, um, is just really mean. And and they oh, really don't they're they really the, don't pull punches on when on they're at the party that. and she realizes who he is yeah. and everything and the whole entire thing. You know, it has all this funny stuff because she's you know <clears> laughing <throat> mad at him for taking the caviar garnish. Yeah, but, I mean. <laughs> The whole entire time, I mean, he is cutting her down to size, like, yeah, talking about like, oh yeah, I needed to spy on you to get your <laughs> the bookstore so inconsequential that it's my yes. competition. Like, really? Uh, and she's just speechless, like holding a knife at. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I mean, it is very funny, but it's just like the things he's saying. You just think, man, alive, like, like my face would have been bright red, and I would have been crying. <laughs> I would have been so mad if I was her. Like, I don't, I don't even know yeah. how I could have reacted to it. I do think she, her calling him a bottom dweller after it was very, very justified. I mean, get it fully, a bottom dweller who recently belittled her existence. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, man. And I mean, but that's the thing is like the that's what I like. That's one of the things I did like about it is like when they are sniping at each other, like in every one of them, one of them wins. Like it. It, it there's always like in the first like round one like that one goes to joe round two that one definitely goes to kathleen like when she calls him just a suit i was like oof ouch <laughs> um <laughs> and that and one I, just really twists the knife because like he knows who she is and how he feels about her and everything and then just for her to say that it just it almost hurts worse <clears throat> even though he has been a horrible person to her and everything that he does know and came in and hasn't told her but then she says these awful things to him that of course she feels bad about and uh, you know he's just okay <laughs> <laughs> you know it is kind of funny too because you know, like sean said you know his name is on the on the building which that's that's very good <laughs> um that no matter what he says i mean he is still the fox that's on 
F-O-X. Fox books. <laughs> F-O-X. <laughs> um, also a very good scene, the little F-O-X scene with the, the kid. I yeah, that, that is pretty my, funny. That's my mom's favorite thing. <laughs> F-O-X. Um, Can you spell cat? F-O-X. <laughs> uh, I think it's very funny in that when they're like, how are you going to be paying? And he's just like, cash. <laughs> well if he pulled out his card it would have said fox so they would have yeah. just been like Ooh. But, but i think you do kind of get the impression a little bit like obviously you know because because his dad which by the way i just want to say i love dabney coleman i completely forgot he was in this um oh he's so funny i can't think of a lot of stuff he's in i, I know he's the boss in nine to five but I've watched tons of like 70s like cop shows and he's in almost it seems like any movie you pick from like the 70s he's in it but he's so good. Um and he's just in he's not in this a ton. He does get kind of a nice scene with Joe near the end. But you do kind of get the impression a little bit not to let Joe off the hook. But you do get the impression a little bit like he hasn't know, he, had a that, strong relationship no to and, look and, to look sorry. at yeah, and I mean, his dad, you know, his dad is, a, you know, womanizer's womanizer. Um, but also, like, he's, it's kind of like, you know, Prin- Prince William, you know, is born and he's going to be king. And he doesn't really have a lot of choice in the matter. And I know it's not exactly like that. And I, and I wouldn't want to let these ultra rich jerks off the hook in real life. But never, but, but in the movie, <laughs> But in the movie, he's also in that position a little bit. The first meeting he has with them, I feel like there's that he he doesn't actually love the fact that they're doing this. He likes the book. He's not ashamed of the bookstore. He's not necessarily embarrassed that they're putting places out of business, but he's also not crazy about it. And, you know, he makes these comments about another, you know, like I said earlier, we're shutting down this for another, you know, what have you. And everybody else is like literally like laughing and celebrating and stuff. And he's there and he's not contradicting them or whatever, but he's obviously not quite as happy about it part of having your name on the building means that you're part of it. <laughs> like it doesn't matter if you're just like your dad or if you're just not like your dad at all, but you're still a Fox. Like unless you leave everything behind, you're kind of along for the ride, whether you like it or not. And I think, I think, I think there's, I think there's an element of that, that, that impacts the relationship between him and Kathleen because she doesn't care like initially she doesn't know who he is. So she treats him like a normal person. But even after she finds out, she gives him through the entire movie, not even a shred of deference or anything at all for the fact that he's a Fox. <laughs> um, and so I think, I think there's, think there's something there too, where like, like Sean, you mentioned earlier, they were going to build that bookstore, whether he wanted them to or not, but he was a jerk, you know, in, in some of the stuff he does early on. But mm-hmm. but there's kind of like forces that he's not really in control of that he could walk away from. I mean, that would be a much different movie. <laughs> um, but if in the movie you basically buy that he's, you know, he's stuck in this role and she's stuck in this role, then I think some of the plot stuff comes together a little better. Right. Um, and, I, but, and I see where you're coming from there. But also, <laughs> I mean, in real life, I mean, if you think about this happening, yeah, it's it's I mean, obviously, you'd always be on the non billionaire side or whatever but in the movie well and another thing and this is something as i'm sitting here like re-watching it in my head like i do see that in a lot of ways the emails are them seeing into each other's psyche 
which I didn't really take too much into account of. I was just like, oh, they're telling each other about their days. Ha ha ha. But like, I was, I was thinking about the fight and he's like, I wish I had, you know, I wish I wouldn't go straight to, to giving him a zinger. Like, and she's like, I wish I had a zinger. And I, I think that is also important in a lot of ways. Like the more I think about it, because you, you're seeing each other's, like into each other's souls a little bit more on that one. So yeah. I, I I think I get a little bit more why, at why at the end she is more forgiving of him. Like, and, and I mean, I don't know if I could have forgiven him before I knew who he was, <laughs> but like once she knows who he is and she re- recognizes like, Hey, this is the person that's been behind it. Like he's not just the one thing I think he is. Yeah. Like it's, I, I think that's, uh, another important part yeah. and I think him doing this I think it does change him a little bit because he's very much I, I, I kind of disagree with you a little bit he didn't seem as gung-ho but he did seem gung-ho because <laughs> he does the yeah. finger guns with it with his grandpa he's like pew 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 yeah, and he's right. like, like I'm like no he's in this he's like and he says it himself <laughs> I'm a gr-, he's like I'm a very good businessman and yeah. like for him it's a game like it's a game and for other people it's their livelihoods and that's yeah. why I'm like, uh, wow, wow. Mm. Yeah. Do you do you, think, <laughs> do you do you buy that over the course of the movie that he had at least a partial change of heart regarding you know not seeing these places as you know important or whatever you know as being important to people? Um, I don't. I think in some ways he feels a little guilty. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if he would call it remorse because <laughs> like. It's not like he goes and resigns from his job. Like he doesn't. <laughs> right. He doesn't change anything. Like at least not from what we've seen. Like the only yeah. changes we see in part of is him himself. And so I, I mean, I think he would. I think for him, it's still just a game, and mm-hmm. that's. And I mean, we don't see enough of the ending to know what he what they do next. Yeah. But it, I I see where you're. Uh, like I, I I can't call it <clears throat> because I I. <laughs> from everything he's done like he says he's very good at his job like and he's i don't think he would want to leave it like he's he's very good at his job i i i think he feels more remorse for her because he's he's seeing it personally as opposed to like not seeing exactly what happened with the rest of them i'm guessing mm-hmm. yeah, but i i it's a hard one to call for me i'm not sure what he would have felt. I will say, I think he changed over the course of the movie, and what would it have solved if he did quit his business? He wouldn't have had the money to be able to take care of Meg Ryan and himself and staying in the business. His grandpa's elderly. His dad's elderly. He'll be running that one day, and he can run it however the hell he sees fit. He'll run it just in time for Amazon to destroy it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you didn't know that. You've got I, it. Also, I also think it's really funny when um, Birdie, her her employee, Jean Stapleton, when she's like, well, if you need money, ask me. I'm very rich. I bought Intel at six. Jean <laughs> <laughs> Stapleton is so good in this. <laughs> she's so funny. I know, just that little, oh, what would my mother do? And she, like, <laughs> takes out the little locket. She has no idea, but the window display looks lovely. 
Yeah. <laughs> I tried cyber sex once and kept getting a busy signal. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, go Gene Stapleton. <laughs> I know that whole cyber sex conversation, I think, is hysterical. And <laughs> you know, um, something that surprised me a little bit Steve Zahn is very funny, but he's barely in this, <laughs> he's in the opening credits. Um, and he is in it, but like he doesn't get a lot of his funniest thing is him uh, talking to Joe about uh, the book, why it's so expensive. Yeah, that's why um, it's worth so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, um, I would also go with uh, the internet is like another reason to get uh, what is it rejected by women, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is like his first scene. And I was like, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I... <laughs> He's quite funny. They're, well, actually, they're all quite funny. You know how comedy has, like, the rule of threes? After she thinks Joe doesn't show for their date, and everyone's like, oh, he stood you up? And Steve Zahn's looking at the newspaper and sees that the rooftop killer had been, like, grabbed a couple <laughs> oh, yeah. blocks away. And he's that... just like, well, that's why. <laughs> and she's like, oh, he couldn't be the rooftop killer. And Heather Burns, bless her heart. I love her so much. I mean, she will always, every April 25th, I think of her. It's not too cold, not too hot. All you need is a light jacket for Miss Congeniality. And <laughs> was she's just like, remember when you thought... Um, oh, what's his name? Frank. Remember when you thought uh, he might be the Unabomber? And she was just like, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like that scene because I like how it just escalates. Like, by the end of the scene, everyone's pretty much on board. And then they kind of come down. But it's like, even Meg Ryan's like, it's obviously not him, like... Just a tiny bit of doubt, and then obviously it's not, but it's yeah, and she also... comes with the final one to just knock it. She's just like, Oh, he stood you up, and then they're all just like, Yeah, <laughs> I think it was so funny when she's first trained. They're like, Oh, maybe he was in a cab, those cab drivers just like drive like maniacs, and you know, his, his arms gonna slam into the little partition, his elbows are broken, and so he can't dial or. <laughs> She's so good at like this subtle like physical comedy that I think a lot of scenes just wouldn't be as funny. But Meg Ryan's little quirks that mm -hmm. are just very Meg Ryan make it so much funnier and really elevates the material. I love it. Yeah, honestly, love it, love I was it, love it. I was surprised. I mean, I, I knew this, I guess, but when I was looking, it, I was really surprised that you know Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are really closely associated in most people's minds, especially people like our age and a little older. Um, but they really, I mean, yeah, there's three movies, but like people don't really talk about Joe versus the volcano very much. They really I do. Just, I, okay. I knew, <laughs> I knew, I knew, I I knew that I was going to regret saying that, but, but not, not in the real world. There is, the a, world. there is a significant <laughs> section of film Twitter that very much stands up for Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> I've never seen Joe versus the volcano. I so haven't I either. I I don't have any opinions on it on that specific movie, but it, it really is pretty amazing that Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail link them like so closely together. Because that's all. I because I don't. Well, I mean, was Joe versus the volcano a huge hit? Like those two were just giant no. Joe hits. versus the volcano was not a huge hit. That's that's what I thought. But they um, had, <laughs> and it's it's very quirky. And I honestly, even today, I'm like, I don't no idea how you would market this movie. <laughs> I love it. It's very charming, and they are very good together. Like Meg Ryan plays three separate characters in Joe versus the volcano. Oh wow. Um, 
and I think that was at the end of the 80s or maybe 1990. It was between like 88 and 90. I can't think of when it came mm. out. And then Sleepless in Seattle. We all know how huge that was. Yeah. And, you know, the very, or maybe that was maybe what, 90, 92. And yeah. then how many years later, six years later, they do this. So it was just like getting to see them reunite and Sleepless in Seattle was such a huge thing. And, yeah, you know, Nora Ephron, <clears throat> Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, like, Everybody loves them watching watching them fall in love. I mean, it's like Julia Roberts <laughs> and Richard Gere. I mean, there's some people that you just love watching them fall in love on screen. It just works. Well, I, was, I mean, uh, sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, no. no. What, what you're going to say is much more important, I'm sure. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it, it, honestly, at the time, they were like the Rock Hudson and Doris Day. Like, they, they, it worked. It just worked. Like, and there are two people that just, they they like their chemistry is so palpable in every one of these movies <laughs> like and one thing i love about sleepless in seattle is they're t- on screen together for two minutes <laughs> is two minutes even, is it even two minutes <laughs> yeah it's about two minutes like I, I mean if you count every meeting because the, she says hi to him when they're at, when she's at the house at the airport at the houseboat and then when they're on the thing so they meet they do meet a couple times like but i think all together it is about two minutes of screen time in that movie but they just it works like the two of them like just the way they both portray looking at each other like it's just there and even here it was like when he like when he she's sick and he like puts his hand against her face and she just her eyes open real big like you can kind of see that's a moment where she's like rethinking and like i get it like but they have some of the best chemistry of a romantic comedy i've ever seen uh, in any comedies really any romance that i've i've ever seen like far better than last week's romance (laughs) 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 which we watched twilight so uh, this was yeah, I was gonna say this was uh, pouring water on sand for Twilight, and this was pouring like <laughs> vinegar on like baking soda. Like there's <laughs> there is a reaction. Yeah, and it's it's funny too because you know Meg Ryan's other huge movie, um, When Harry Met Sally. Have you you guys both seen that? Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So that's like a really great movie, and uh, Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal <laughs> also take- have. <laughs> Hot take. Bro. I know, I know, I know. Um, and her and Billy Crystal have have great chemistry, but it's just not it's just not the same thing. It's just not the same thing. It's a different. It's different. There's a different vibe to it. It's hard. It's hard to explain. It's yeah. not not any kind of a slight to that movie at all. But it's just no, not, people it, people just don't think Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal when they think Meg Ryan. Generally, I don't think. I think they normally think Tom Hanks. <laughs> well, I think they think Meg Ryan is in romantic comedies, and I do think when Harry Met Sally is in that list. Um, yeah. and, but for me, when Harry Met Sally is a little bit of a different type of rom-com, yeah. in, uh, in some ways, it almost feels more adult than this one does. Yeah, yeah um, it's more of a, like, because... they've been friends for years and years and years, yeah. and finally realize it's a lot different than the enemies to this lovers. One feels... this... Yeah. yeah, this one feels... Yeah, this one, it just kind of feels more classic in this one and and yeah. whereas when harry met sally i always feel it's a little bit more adult because it's two people that didn't like each other learning to like each other and then falling in love and i think that's a little bit more adult than the enemies to lovers yeah. kind of I, thing we've seen before 
Yeah, I and actually think when... Sally also, I mean, it spans years. Yeah, I, I really think that if, say, the male lead in when Harry Met Sally was, um, I don't know, Richard Gere, um, although I know he did romantic comedies too, but like, I kind of feel like if it hadn't been Billy Crystal, we wouldn't really talk about when Harry Met Sally as a romantic comedy. It would be a drama. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but like the structure of it and stuff is definitely more dramatic. Until you get to the very end, like you say, you know, it spans years and there's, there's just a lot. There's a lot that happens in it. That's not the structure of a romantic comedy. Whereas you've got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle. Those are the, those are like the bedrocks of the modern romantic comedy, like the structure of them. And maybe that's maybe that's why. Maybe that's why you get Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and not Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. <laughs> and I mean, and I get where you're coming from. Julia Roberts strings and, and Julia Sandra Roberts, Bullock, yeah, and Sandra Bullock. I mean, they were the queens and bedrock of romantic comedies okay. for a solid two decades. Yeah, but arguably, Meg Ryan gets the funniest scene in When Harry Met Sally. Like, yeah. when I think of When Harry Met Sally, I'm thinking of <laughs> that's what she's having, and right. I mean, that's the that's the that's when you know Meg Ryan gets to shine. Like, she shines the whole movie, but like, that's the moment where you're just like, star. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I mean, I do. I do think even if it wasn't Billy Crystal, I still think it could be. Restaurant. She is a movie star. Yeah, and Rob Reiner's mom said that's what she's having. Okay, like we we're getting there. Like she's a star. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I I, and I see where you're coming from though with that because it is. And I mean, romantic comedies aren't what they used to be. Yeah, I I really think. I mean, really, in a way, me saying that is probably just me um, not being aware of how much the phrase romantic comedies become like a negative thing. Cause like culturally it's just come to mean like kind of goofy, you know, Hallmark Christmas movies or whatever, which I love those, but I mean like I, that's, I do too. <laughs> but that's what people are, that's what people are thinking of when they think romantic comedy. Whereas there's lots of like actual classic, like, you know, TM, uh, what at TMC, I can't remember what the, mm-hmm. the film Institute. A- Turner AFI. movie classics. Yep. Yeah. TMC. TMC or AFI or whatever. Like there's like a lot of those movies are really romantic. I mean, the apartment is romantic comedy and nobody's saying that's not a classic, but there's just sort of a thing where like romantic comedy became kind of like a negative term. So maybe it's not fair to say that. Like maybe it's true. It's, it's just romantic comedy. That's really good. Romantic comedy is really interesting right now because there aren't it, huge movie stars anymore like they used to be because that's what we used to sell them. Like yeah. you get to see these two huge movie stars fall in love and uh, they would make it. And I mean, I usually do this at the end, but I'm just going to throw this out now because think about this. This is in 1998. The budget of You've Got Mail was $65 million. Whew. And I'm guessing most of that went to the stars. Or the, or <laughs> the music. Or the music. Or the music, thing. yeah. But um, yeah, you would not get a romantic comedy today made for sixty-five million dollars. No, like well, I mean, I if mean, you got thirty million put toward a romantic comedy today, you'd be lucky. Um, well, I would kind of disagree with that. How much was Crazy Rich Asians? So, uh, in what year did Crazy Rich Asians come out? It was. 2018, yeah, 2018, the budget for Crazy Rich Asians was $30 million. In 1998, the budget for You've Got Mail was how much again? 65, I think you said. Yeah, 65 million. million. Like, and Crazy Rich Asians is a very opulent movie. 
but I mean, nobody would give 65 million. I mean, the fact that they gave 65 million for this <coughs> is insane. Like that's how good romantic comedies and stuff were, were doing back then. And they just aren't now like crazy rich Asians was an anomaly. And also since I'm on the budget and everything, you got mail went on to make 251 million worldwide back yeah. in 1998. Big and, numbers then. Yeah, and Crazy Rich Asians technically kind of did better because you know it was on a 30 million dollar budget. But again, this was back in 1998. Crazy Rich Asians made 239 million worldwide. Yeah, but I mean, uh, and I agree, it is technically better, but I don't know. it. In a lot of ways, it felt like rom-com was dead, like, since the early 2000s. Like, it didn't feel like there were, like, you'd still, still see some of them come out, but I feel like the first big rom-com to come out in the last, like, 10 to 15 years was Crazy Rich Asians. And I it, do think... They're trying to bring them back because people like romantic comedies. Obviously, like Hallmark does amazing everywhere. That like that's when everybody <laughs> watches it. Are for not even good romantic comedies. People like them. I don't really know what happened with it. Is it well, they were usually I... based more on the star system, and we don't really have movie stars like we used to. Um, it's I don't know. You could have a whole podcast about the. State of the romantic comedy in the world right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like that, uh, Clayton. I know I mentioned it to you a while back, but did you ever watch um, "I Want You Back" with with Charlie Day and um, can't remember who the who the I didn't remember what her I'm name sorry. is because I it, it's fine. <laughs> but uh, and Jenny Slate, um, like that movie is very much in the mold of like these kind of romantic comedies. Like it's high quality, it's good writing, and everything. But I think. I mean, it, it goes straight to streaming. It's on the front page say, for two days. And then, very low budget and straight to streaming it. with no advertising. Um, yeah. But it's not like, you know, it doesn't look low budget or anything, but it's just like, you know, you have stars that get paid relatively little and the music's probably not that much. And it's a, it's a real movie that tells a real story. It's not like mm -hmm. a, not too bad mouth Hallmark movies, but they're Hallmark movies. It's like a specific kind of movie. Yeah. Um, I do quite like them, but I'm um, not going to say they're yeah. wonderful. <laughs> It's but just, I mean, it's just, it's like a, it's a, it's like a niche type of movie, but like that feels like a real movie, but it's, but you know, just thinking it's hard to even imagine like a movie like that, even if it had big stars being in theaters now with tons of promotion and it's just, it's just not the kind of thing that happens. Well, I will reason. say, you know, JLo in the past year, she's had one come out. Another one's coming out at the end of the year. Julia Roberts and George Clooney just did one. Yeah, Sandra Bullock just did like an adventure romantic comedy, so people are yeah. wanting to do them. And I th think they're just trying to like dip their toes in and see like, <laughs> hey, can we make can we make this happen again? Because yeah. they've got to be a much more fun like they've got to be a fun movie to make. You know, an easy little thing. You don't have to dig to the depths of <laughs> wherever you need to do this uh, hardcore drama and yeah. I think there is definitely an audience for it. I mean, people. I don't really remember how well um, The Lost City did or uh, Tickets Paradise, but I think they did well enough to say, you know, people still want to see this type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, and I think I think just generally I don't want to get too far afield from talking about You've Got Mail, but I think just generally smaller scale movies 
are slowly eking their way back into being viable. Something like Knives Out, Knives Out Two, like those are those are um, you know um, locked room murder mysteries essentially. And mm-hmm. but they're huge hits, or like the Poirot movies that Kenneth Branagh is making, or there's another one that just came out with a bunch of stars in it that's just a murder mystery. And they're super fun. I love to watch them. But, bodies, um, <laughs> bodies, bodies was like that, and it's yeah. super fun. I love. I, I don't know so if I you've think, gotten a chance to see Bodies, 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 but it is brilliant and one of my favorite of the year. I haven't seen it, but it does look like it's in kind of like a similar vein, like just in terms, like the scale and everything. It just just let her so, have her podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a quote from it. <laughs> there is so, a really funny podcaster character in it that I think everybody related to a little bit too hard. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like this movie and other movies like it. I mean, I watched the the Netflix and Hallmark things around the end of the year. I'm already kind of excited about what's going to come out this year. Um, but like they, they, these 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 are just better than most of them. I really enjoyed. I mean, I really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed Sleepless in Seattle while you were sleeping and just the things from that era. And I'd I'd love to see him make a comeback. I think that'd be great. Same. 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 Um. <clears throat> I would also really like to, I know this is completely off track, but <laughs> before I forget, I love the production design in this movie. Like her apart, it is all so cute, so lived in and tangible. Mm-hmm. And New York City itself is, I love movies where like the location is such a character. Yeah. And it was cool. Uh, it was cool having just been, sorry. I feel like I'm name dropping, but having just yeah, been like on the upper, having just been on the Upper West Side and walked around this whole area, this, that area around Broadway and 86th, which is where Fox Books is in the movie, um, that whole area I spent hours walking around there, and it's really cool because so much of the movie shot on location. Like there's tons of stuff there that I that mm-hmm. I recognize. Um, and it's it's cool. It, it, you're right. It does have when they film it on location. I mean, obviously, even more so if you recognize the location. But there's something about even when you don't there. Like you're talking about tangibility. Um, I'm not someone who has a big issue with like big special effects uh, stuff and CGI backgrounds and things, but there is something that just hits differently about something that is like there. Uh. <laughs> and especially in these kind of movies, because the setting is so important for them. It, a generic kind of setting, the setting completely changes a movie that's dark doesn't feel like a romantic comedy that's set in San Francisco or whatever, if it's well done. Uh-uh. And this almost feels like a love letter to New York as well. Which is another big Efron thing. I mean, she loves New York and it comes through in all those movies. Like they're, they're very, they're very linked to that, especially the Upper West Side. (laughs) They take place there in that small area. I feel I've never been to New York city. It's one of my dreams, but I feel like I could walk around the Upper West Side and not get lost because I have seen so many things that are filmed and set. I mean, just, I watched all the gossip girl. (laughs) <laughs> you would you would love it I'll, I'll tell you like i'm not even the biggest movie person just i just don't watch a ton of movies i like movies but like once you go there i've been there three times now and once you've been there even once like when you watch movies it's like a different experience because so many are set in new york you see things that you've been to and it's it's goofy but it's it's cool it, it's really cool i think my closest experience to that is uh the little jennifer lawrence oscar nominated winter's bone um, because they uh, filmed that around where my aunt and uncle live in Missouri, oh, and the man. high and the high school she's in, I'm like, man, I've been in there. I've been, I went <laughs> there for my 
cousin's graduations. Like I've been in these rooms. That's, that's pretty cool. That's probably a, that's probably a much smaller percentage of people who've been on on location for Winter Bone than have been on location for. Uh, yes, you've uh, got mail. So nice work. <laughs> that's the one place that I'm like, yep, I know where that is. That's accurate. Ah. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to shout out, I think the soundtrack, mm -hmm. the cover, covers and score is phenomenal, beginning to end. Uh, George Fenton did the score for it. I uh, yeah. quite adore it. I think it's so charming and whimsical and sad. and uh, mm. does a lot the, of heavy lifting in the last quarter of the movie, too, when mm -hmm. it kind of shifts from comedy to drama, the soundtrack. And even just like a, the fall, I mean, the opening scenes and the fall, the music and everything is so upbeat and just like it feels crisp. And yeah. then it moves into the winter and there's a real sense of sadness and melancholy. And yeah, I, I actually stole the soundtrack for the for, for You've Got Mail from a cousin of mine um, and had it for years. Just the CD. I didn't have the case. <laughs> um, it, it does have it does have a great a great I think it was just the soundtrack I don't think it had the score but it does have a great soundtrack <laughs> yeah I, I like it I like it a lot it is good um let's see was there anything else we wanted to I oh the performances I did want to touch I think Meg is so cute I I just love her and she's so cute in this and I also really like a lot of her outfits they look so comfy so many turtlenecks <laughs> Tom Hanks is always fine. His performances lately, I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't know, but he's very good in this. Parker Posey, <clears throat> she could show up in any movie and I'd be happy. She's it, <laughs> she's it was so a funny. It was a little funny um, because, like, in her later career, like, she's taken on a lot more, like, kind of goofy kind of roles. I mean, she's always great and everything. But it was kind of funny because, like, in the 90s when she popped up, that was, like, what she was, like, type A kind of chop, chop, chop kind of person. And it was just kind of funny. Like, uh, she was just in that uh, Murderville, that TV show. And and it's more, like, kind of like a goofy character, which is she's done a lot more of those. But it was kind of fun to see. Uh, my favorite Parker Posey role, <laughs> which is actually an upcoming episode, is in Josie and the Pussycats. I love her in that and you probably didn't I, see it I, I haven't seen it but my favorite is best in show have you seen best in show i've not seen best in show oh man if you if you like parker posey you should see best in show even if that's not like your kind of movie because she is very funny in it and the whole movie is very funny oh um, yeah adore that, parker oh. posey like adore uh, her. minus scream three <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! How did I even forget Scream Three? She's so funny like, in that. She's just, my lawyer felt that. <laughs> I mean, look at that range. There's something for everybody. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um. What else? I love Meg Ryan's little monologue at the beginning when she's reading the e when she's writes the email, but as she's walking about like leaving her apartment going about the day but you still hear um the voiceover of the email mm -hmm. and it just gives me little shivers every single time <laughs> because like within five minutes i know exactly what i'm in for yeah and it just it gives that feel that not a lot of movies do i don't think and i just love it and just like i turn on my computer i wait impatiently as it connects i've got mail from you and just like his whole like oh it just makes don't you love New York in the fall it makes you want to buy school supplies and I'm just like yes yes it does <laughs> that first like fall day I'm like 
I want a bouquet of newly sharpened pencils, and I don't even know why. <laughs> I don't, but that's only because I don't like pencils. <laughs> I don't necessarily love pencils, but it's um, I don't know. <laughs> I just if we're go, I just have to go back to Parker Posey as when she for her introduction, and she's just like Murray Chilton, and that's Murray Chilton is dead, and that's one less person I'm not speaking to. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. I can't wait. This that's is really horrible. Second thing. Horrible of me to say, but like, I wish there was somebody that I just couldn't stand one day to die just so I can use that line. <laughs> like, so and so die. That's one less person I'm not speaking to. You've um, got to be ready because you're only going to get one opportunity. So you got to be, yes. be ready. Yeah. I, it's like you only get to do it once. Um, <laughs> and I just have to ask the both of you because this is a very, very serious conversation and question. Sure. I think I know what this question is going to be. Probably. Are daisies the friendliest flower? <laughs> <laughs> Called it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was told, uh, I was told that was going to be what the whole podcast was about. So I, I lied. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to answer your question, I would go with yes, but yes, question mark. Because I think sunflowers are very friendly. Yeah, that's a great answer. I, that's, I, I think daisies might be the friendliest flower, but definitely sunflowers. Give them room for their money. Although uh, Tom Hanks coming up to her apartment with a like a like an entire armful of, of sunflowers, completely different vibe. But Yeah, uh... <laughs> but white daisies, I mean, they just are. They're so cute. They're so friendly. They're like the little, they're like the toys of flowers. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I have a question. This is something yes. that I saw after we, after we, after I finished the movie last night. I was just reading about it on Wikipedia, and I feel like an idiot for not noticing it. But the that this movie is structured on Pride and Prejudice. Um, they talk about that through the whole movie, uh -huh. um, but the actual like narrative structure is very much like Pride and Prejudice. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. you didn't um, notice that. No, I did not notice that. And I was a little embarrassed, but there was something that was funny. Uh, apparently the, the copy, and I didn't notice this. I was watching on a computer screen and just missed it. But apparently the copy of Pride and Prejudice that Tom Hanks is reading has Colin Firth on the cover because it's the novelization from the, the 1996 movie or whatever year that was. Um, and this is the only movie that Tom Hanks and Colin Firth have ever appeared in together. <laughs> so <laughs> so that, was, that, was a fun, that was a fun fact. <laughs> I love Pride and Prejudice, and I love the version of Colin Firth. And but my favorite person version of Pride and Prejudice is not actually Pride and Prejudice, but Bridget Jones's Diary. Yeah, I was gonna say Bridget Jones's Diary. If you uh, answer also, anything else, I will hurt also you. <laughs> Colin Firth, Sean. People are gonna really start thinking you're abusive for as much as you threaten to hurt me. <laughs> I, I will I, hurt you. It, I just won't talk to you. <laughs> I, I love Pride and Prejudice the book but I, but there are any of the adaptations that I just absolutely love Bridget Jones is the funniest though um, yeah uh, Bridget so, Jones is know. wonderful uh, fun fact Helen Fielding just said they're trying to get a fourth movie made and that was my happy moment the other day uh, I also quite like when they have their first fight and she's holding the knife at him, and Greg Kinnear comes up, and he's like, oh, Joe Fox, how do you <laughs> sleep at night? And Parker Posey pops in, and she's like, oh, 
Ultra Dorm. Take half. <laughs> just like <laughs> no hangover. <laughs> this Jeb said I followed later when she's like talking to Tom Hanks in bed, trying to cuddle him, and then like he gets up and she just immediately snores. <laughs> Yeah, um, I actually that was one of my notes I wrote in there. I need that. I need to sleep like Parker Posey in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm like this seems better than melatonin. Uh, I also, you know, you were talking earlier about the contrast of the little girl singing Annie in a very formal setting to them singing, you know, just around a piano. I also think it might have been a little bit of commentary. You know, this very 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 wealthy child is singing a song from annie <laughs> right she's specifically <laughs> the sun will come out tomorrow and i i just find it kind of ironic because you know little orphan annie you know super poor she does become rich but i think that's just i don't know when I watch it, that just kind of stands out to me. Plus, I just think it's a really funny moment because that's when the stepmother, like, you know, puts her hand on his knee and he's just like, uh. <laughs> uh, oh, I, yeah, that is that was the best part of satire for, for me. <laughs> and I yeah. also really like, and just kind of quickly going through just some of the beats, the whole Christmas sequence when her store, you know, people aren't coming and she's just, dealing with her tree and there's, you know, voiceover about Joni Mitchell and everything. I really appreciated this movie leans into the melancholy of Christmas time. Cause I feel like not a lot of movies do and Christmas, I mean, at least for me, um, does have a lot of melancholy underneath of it because I think the holidays themselves have such a nostalgic feel and you think back on the past and that's not always happy and there's sadness in there and there's a really intrinsic melancholy to it and a lot of films ignore that and i really appreciated that this movie just leans into it yeah that's probably especially true for romantic comedies where christmas tends to be like the big the big denouement of everything so yeah you're right and also i have to ask um are you a big godfather fan (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um i do i do really love the godfather it's a great movie but um i'm not i'm not one to go around quoting it <laughs> i have seen it once and oh god i shouldn't even admit this but i thought it was really boring but i was much <laughs> much 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 younger i need to give it a rewatch as an adult i will probably find it brilliant uh, you, you have to watch it but then you also have to watch you really have to watch that one and the second one like, like the first one is great by itself but you really need to see i haven't actually seen the third one but the, the, I've heard that's probably okay. That's yeah, that's what I've heard too. That's why I haven't why I haven't gone on my way to see it. I hadn't seen uh, it either. Liz had seen it and really liked it, and so we we watched the first and second one. But they're they're very good. Although I think if especially if you watched it when you were younger, it's not hard to see why you might think it was boring. Um, but it I, I did I did find it a little amusing that several times he you know he says I'm quoting The Godfather, but then right at the end of the movie, he quotes the Godfather tour and doesn't mention it. And if you had not like been paying close attention, you would be like, this lunatic is just like, he's got Tourette's or something. Like he's just saying things that don't make any sense. Oh, what uh, he says, don't, he, what, the, isn't that the line near the end? Like where he says, don't cry. <laughs> Sorry. Such and such. He um, says, don't <laughs> cry shop girl. Don't cry. Cause that was her. Oh, like, okay. Well, 
Okay, I'm the I'm the idiot. I just I just misheard that. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Cut that. Cut that. I don't. Oh, I'm not cutting that. I've never heard you be an idiot in your life. I'm keeping that for proof. You're always right. like the person. I'm like, oh, he's so smart. Can't stand right. it. That, uh, I can't stand it either. I can't stand it either. Uh, and I wanted to ask both of you, like, with this movie specifically, and especially. Sean didn't seem to respond to this movie how I <laughs> thought he would. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to ask, I know you mentioned something to me offline, Brent, but just the weird experience that this captures just that weird experience of talking to someone you don't really know <laughs> online and just developing strong feeling because, you know, it's not somebody you see. You can talk to them when you look disgusting and really... <laughs> talk about yeah. because you know they're not in your everyday life and it just yeah, captures um, that really it's a really specific thing i'm sure there's a word for it and obviously nowadays it is not um necessarily the safest but those are sometimes the most rich conversations you can have yeah well i mean you know um I, when i was talking to you about it i my my wife i met um in person, but most of our early friendship was formed on uh, AOL Instant Messenger specifically. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously that ended up working out. Um, but also, <laughs> <laughs> but also, that's why I have all these kids. Um, but also, um, even, uh, even with Clayton, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even with Clayton, because of our age difference, um, when we were in school, Clayton was like a little kid. Um, and I was in high school um, and we kind of like reconnected somewhat like on Facebook. Cause whenever you chat with people, it's just not the same. There's just, there's something it's, it is kind of funny because the, the movie does capture something about like the, the, the leveling aspect of talking to people that you can't see. <laughs> um, like you may feel very intimidated to talk to person X face to face or just not know what to say or whatever. But I think especially people who are kind of like word people, which I guess I would call myself like a word person. There's like super visual people and wordier people. It, 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 um, I've formed a lot of great uh, friendships um, over uh, AOL Messenger, Facebook Messenger, MSN Messenger. Um, uh, my friend that we were talking about earlier, I met him when I was at college and a decade later started chatting with him on Facebook. So I, and it does it does really capture, especially near the end when they're actually using Messenger me and my friends were never big emailers. You know, we definitely mm. were writing emails like, like they did in this movie. <laughs> um, yes, but we I chatted never, on. Uh, but I mean, emails, we literally. They are such a necessary <laughs> evil. I hate them. <laughs> yes, I do too. I do too. They they give me stress now that I get them for mostly for work. Mm. Um, but but there but like when I was in high school, whenever I started college, uh, whenever I got out of college, and all my friends had moved away from uh, Frankfurt, <laughs> and there was just nobody around. I would just sit on uh, a messenger when I felt really bad and people would pop on and off and I would talk to them. And it does, it does capture something about that, that, that is, it's not, it's not that people can't still do that, but it's just, it's just different. There's so many ways to communicate now. Um, and I think, I think there is something about the fact that those mediums were basically nothing but text. I mean, like, like Liz, my wife, she, she sends Marcos all the time. Um, she she would prefer to talk and have the video and stuff, but it's it's not like that for me. <laughs> um, yeah, same. I don't like that. People Snapchat me, and I'm like, I don't even know why you're doing this. I'll open it three days later. I won't respond. Yeah, I would much rather. Mm -mm. 
So, so I think, I think it does kind of capture, <laughs> obviously people can still do that. Uh, people can still go the mostly text route, but I think it does kind of capture a specific moment in that that was really the only option. And many people did it. <laughs> and lots of people who were right around, probably really between my age and your age did a lot of that. Yeah. I was going to say, and also we had a very specific type of growing up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that is... I never had the chat room That's experience. True. You know, a lot of people, yeah. you know, I hear around our ages talk about, you know, using chat rooms and stuff a lot. Yeah. And that just is a completely foreign thing to me because by the time I would have been like, okay, I can just go <laughs> use a chat room. They weren't a thing anymore. Yeah. Um, I guess now that's just, twitter until it's <laughs> yeah. gone um so that would be the closest thing to a chat room i would have ever used yeah uh but yeah instant messenger i mean i wasn't even going to share this but what the what the hell um brent actually saved my life one time over instant messenger because with my crazy sleep schedule and my depression and everything um brent's younger brother who is closer to my age he's what I, he's, I'm turning he's four years younger than me, so I'm he's turning 35, I guess. Okay, I'm turning four, 34 this year, so he's like a year, year and a half older than me. And we had never been like particularly close and stuff, but he was in the military. And so when he would be up online, would generally be when I couldn't sleep and would be like, I need somebody to talk to so I don't completely lose it. And uh, there was a night that I was, um, in a bad way and was talking to him and you know at that point he was in like africa or something yeah i think he was in africa somewhere and uh i had taken a lot of pills and i don't even know how i was still even typing but next thing i knew i was in the hospital but what had happened was i was talking to his brother on facebook messenger because he was up and online and was talking to me and when he could tell that, hey, something's wrong, he got a hold of Brent, who doesn't even live here in town anymore. <laughs> and uh, honestly, um, <laughs> I don't really know what happened. I think you got a hold of either your parents yeah, or I called, like, the cops I called, here. <laughs> yeah, I called Uncle Jeff because he worked, my, my Uncle Jeff, because uh, he worked crazy hours. Because I, I tried calling my parents, couldn't get a hold of him. And he called your dad. And your dad called the police. And the police came and got into your apartment somehow. And and oh, they kicked, it, they kicked the door in. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought that was the case, but I didn't want to be the one to say it. They kicked the door in. Oh, it's um, fine. And, they kicked and, the door down. I was face down. <laughs> yeah. and I think, I think I had a table on my way down. I had a big, huge bruise on my head. <laughs> yeah, man, that was... Uh, but, you know, it's it's not funny. But um, I, earlier, I, earlier I, that I night, I don't know if you remember this, <laughs> but earlier Probably that night... Probably not. I, I was also working super late that night. I wasn't up as late as Bradley because he was in different time zones, my, my brother. Um, mm -hmm. But um, earlier that night, you had gotten on, and I don't know if you had already taken pills or if you were just tired and feeling depressed or whatever. Sorry if this is too much to go into oh, on no, here. It's, it's <laughs> um, fine. But you, but, you were, but you were talking, and you were like, I've really been wanting to show someone this new um, Anne of Green Gables. It's on DVD, and the quality is like really good. And it was whenever Facebook Watch was like a big thing. <laughs> and so you put it on your on your TV and then turn on Facebook Watch and and I put it on my other screen and we watched it for like an hour or so. And then I went to bed. And then after I went to bed, really? you started talking to Bradley. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that at all because I want to say, full disclosure, I think that was when I was still allowed to be prescribed Xanax. I am no longer allowed to have it. <laughs> yeah, well, I called you 
Whenever after Bradley called me, I, the first thing I tried to do was call you. He couldn't call you because being in Africa, he called me on right. Facebook. And I got a hold of you, and you were. I mean, I couldn't understand you. You were talking like, I'm uh, sure. and that's, and that's when I called, that's when I called, uh, some, someone at the else. Time, I think that's I when was, I called Uncle Jeff. At the time I was really, really mad, but looking back on it, I am very happy with my, I mean, currently right now I'm depressed, but <laughs> my life is going fairly well. You know, I've had struggles between then and I mean, that was before I'd had cancer and stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, I man. Had, You've I been through it, struggles. dude. Yeah, but you know, I'm where I want to be in life right now. For the most part, I'm happy. I've had a lot of good experiences. I met a lot of really cool people. But yeah, you can you can do a lot through Messenger. You can make great <laughs> you friends. Can. You can save lives. Um, weird tangent, but instant <laughs> Messenger. Yeah, it's a good thing. And speaking of Anne of Green Gables. I do really, really love the moment when she's selling all the stock in her store and they're like, your mother, I remember when I was a kid, I came in and I bought a copy of Anne of Green Gables and your mother gave me a box of Kleenex to go with it free of charge. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> read, it, read it with a box of Kleenex. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and so Meg Ryan gives her a box of Kleenex. like a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Very uh, sad scene, by the way. I think that's it is. the saddest scene in the whole movie. The fire sale on the store is like I know. There's a lot of scenes in the movie that make <laughs> me tear up, either because I'm really happy or they're really romantic or it's really sad. Like yeah. it's so funny. Like your comfort movies are what get me gives you like a really emotional response. Just, <laughs> it's not like oh, this is a really happy movie. Just yeah, like, ah. um, yeah. That is that is true. And I also, when then when she walks away from the store and just the bells ringing and it's dark and it's all closed down, it's just so sad. It is so sad. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was out of the honest. I was like, oh, <laughs> we're going to go past this, huh? Like, this really, is... Sean? It's a romantic comedy. Yeah, it's where it should be. It's a romantic comedy. But it's not for I, him. <laughs> he thinks it's a yeah, tragedy. Yeah, I was going to so. say, it's a tragedy. So I was like, this is where the movie can end and I'll be happy. Like, <laughs> I don't need any others. I don't need oh, I any been closure. So mad if it. Had ended well, it wouldn't be your comfort so movie mad. anymore. No, and it probably wouldn't have made a ton of money. Oh, I, well, speaking oh, of the movie ending, can I say something I don't want to forget? I didn't put it in my notes. What a tight movie, too. It's not like two and a half hours long. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a solid yeah, just two hour hours. forty minutes or something like no, that. Two hours. Ex- it's like an hour and fifty nine minutes. Yeah. Including credits. But not a lot of fat or anything on it. I mean, it, it got a good clip. Yeah, I was watching it because I've gotten very aware of pacing uh, mm-hmm. during this. Uh, because I watched stuff twice. So, like, I really noticed. It's like, <laughs> man, they could have uh, chopped this down. And there are a couple places that I'm like, okay, this could have been tightened up maybe a little bit. Yeah. But even those, like, I really love those scenes. Like, I, I think when uh, Tom Hanks is taking his aunt and brother through their little festival in New York before they go into her store, I'm like, that went on a little bit. Like, we get the idea. They could have cut that down. But it's really charming. It's cute. It shows yeah. that he's not a total asshole. Like, he does care about kids. Like, he went and took the... I don't know. It's It's cute. Yeah. And on the subject of love... I really like when his dad is talking to him and, you know, about like, oh, just all his marriage. And I just got to find somebody new. That's the easy part. 
and Tom Hanks is like, oh, the one single, it's so easy to find the one single person in the world who fills your heart with joy. And his dad's like, whoa, I mean, if you, I've never met anybody like that, have you? And he just, you know, he realizes. And, you know, I think that really is just kind of the nutshell of this movie is about finding that one person, regardless of the circumstances around it. When you find that person, that other stuff isn't going to matter. Yeah. Unless you're Sean, then it, then it yeah. matters. Which is so it funny. Matter. <laughs> it's so funny, though, because in real life, I think I'm the much more cynical about love than he is, and he is much more open, but when it comes to movies, I <laughs> love stuff like this, and he's just, like, so cynical about it. I think it's so funny. There, there is that, a big thing where it's just, like, some people can flip off that switch and, like, we're in a romantic comedy now, and other people can't. <laughs> and, like, even the Hallmark movies, like, we all we all joke about them, but I will watch as many of those as I can every Christmas season, oh, yeah. and I will cry at every single one of them, and, like, that's not who I really am in real life. I'm just like, uh, that's ridiculous. And uh, <clears throat> Sean would be like, I would love to go back home and meet some. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, he wouldn't be caught dead watching any of those. Like, literally wouldn't be caught dead. No, it's not that I don't like them. It's just, it, they're p- too predictable. Like, I just, I, I get it. That's the, that's one of the draws. It's like, oh, they come home. Like, girl A comes home and she has X job, which is high powered or something fun. Or like, uh, she's a lawyer or she's this or she's that or she's a businesswoman, blah, 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 blah. Or the guy. And then they come home and they meet the, their, their other person X who's small town and it's just like oh my god like and then it's the literally end, they just... have a dry kiss under the town gazebo with the fake snow it's so cute and, yeah and, exactly and, and, and all just... the towns have Christmas villages like every single town no matter how small yes. has a giant Christmas I also village. like the ones that, like Lacey Chabert going over to like another country and falling in love with a prince I uh, <laughs> oh, I really yeah. like those I think Jane Seymour is like the mom in one of them I it's wonderful uh, it's just like copy print, copy paste print, and I'm like, yeah, I, I feel like they've got one of those like generators that they just like feed things into, <laughs> and then uh, I will ask um, before we completely wrap this up. The last I was really looking at the times on this watch because I was kind of curious because the layout of it is kind of strange for a romantic thing, and Sleepless in Seattle was as well. Like they literally don't meet until the end of the movie. Their friendship, like where they're actually friends, like he comes and brings her the flowers and they become friends. That is quite literally the last 15 minutes of the movie are when they become friends. <laughs> we get 15 minutes of friendship building, you know, <clears throat> not over email in real life. And then they end up together. How do we feel about that? Well, for me, I feel pretty good about it because having had a lot of friends that I met and mostly talked to online, it hasn't been a hundred percent of the time, but usually whenever I meet them, I just feel like we're already friends. Like, I don't feel like we have to do a bunch of scaffolding to figure out if we're friends because we've already right. probably taught, probably spent more time actually talking than we would have had. We had, we hung out together for a week. Right. <laughs> a lot of people that I'm just friends with mostly online, I feel like know me better than people that I'm around all the time in real life, because like we actually talk and you can't just have, 
it's generally not just small talk because that doesn't sustain itself when you're talking. Yeah. When you're just chatting, um, you don't yeah. have to be chatting about something. Yeah. Um, and I, we already talked about the ending and how we feel about it. Um, <laughs> we opened with that. That's pretty good. Yes. <laughs> I, I do. I love where conversation, they just go all over the place. I love it. I love it so much. Um, I will bring up one thing. Sean had a big issue on the first <gasps> watch. On the first watch. Still do. I, so, do you already know what I'm going to bring? Oh, I know exactly what's coming here. And uh, I had never really thought about it until watching it in a modern day context, but it didn't really bother me. I'll just leave it at that. But Sean had a big issue with the gaslighting that Tom Hanks does of Meg Ryan throughout the last portion of this movie. Little, once he finds out who she is. Yeah, um, it didn't bother me, like, in context of the movie, but also, like, that, I mean, that would be pretty bad in real life. Although, I will say, I mean, modern romantic comedies still do that. <laughs> like, that, that, not that exact thing, but, like, the, the romantic comedy industrial complex is built on the small town boy who has a secret that he doesn't reveal that would probably make a huge difference to the yes. girl that he's wooing. So like, it could just be that there's some, uh, so many movies can be solved by it. a simple conversation. <laughs> well, yeah. And, but that's the thing. It's like you, you were asking, does he change by the end of it? And I think that proves he doesn't because <laughs> yeah, I think he would have told her if he had any, I, I don't know any ounce of respect for her. <laughs> like I, I think he likes her, but I don't. I, I just I it it bothered me so much because like if he he literally does not tell her because he knows she won't talk to him anymore, and he I doesn't don't... allow her to make that decision. He decides it for her, so he goes and like makes her that they become friends, they fall in love. And then he goes and, and he's the other guy still too. So he, she doesn't really get a choice in that. Like he chooses for her. And that bothered me. Like I, I, I'm, I'm a super feminist. So I'm like very much like women, you know, they, they deserve their voice. And then this one, she has a voice all the way up until that. And so like, even when he comes in and they do the meeting and he's kind of antagonizing her and that's what she calls him the suit. Like, he like he has this knowledge and then he kind of uses it he doesn't use it against her but he does kind of use it against her like and that was a problem for me because it's just like okay he makes the decision that like i'm in love with you and we're if if the truth if i reveal the truth then she's probably not gonna love me back so i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna make her fall in love with me on the right one that is a staple of the romantic comedy, though. I, I will kind of counter. He does really love her, I think. And I think she really loves him, but she would be so mad. <clears throat> he just... But at the end, you know, when they do, like, okay, we're gonna meet up. If she was upset about that, she could have instantly been like, nope, and walked away. But that's and at the that problem. point, she still is like, I, I hoped it would be you. But that's the yeah. problem. It's like, she, I think she hundred percent had agency. She could have still been like, mm. yeah. I, I I think I I I can see I can see where you're coming from, Sean. And I think I think that I think that in one sense you're definitely right. 
<laughs> um, I think if that was happening in real life, it would be it would be you know shady, and maybe it is shady in the movie. I think the only thing that I would say as kind of like a qualifier, and maybe this makes it worse. I don't know. But the difference, the difference is, you know, you're writing a movie in real life. People do that. People, people gaslight in much more violating ways, I guess I would say. Yeah. I was like, I've, um, been, in, I've but, been in relationships yeah. where it's like, it's, it's really horrible. <laughs> um, and they say, you know, I feel this way, but the person that is being like tricked, if we say tricked instead of instead of gaslighting just just within context of the movie <laughs> um even though in real life obviously that's what it would be um because the scriptwriter knows oh actually tom hanks does really love meg ryan and meg ryan does really love tom hanks <laughs> um they they basically let them get away with things that are like actually are super problematic like even getting into her apartment like you mentioned earlier <laughs> like you you wouldn't you wouldn't probably mm -hmm. not just you but like in general i don't think <laughs> People I'd would really be accepting of that. I'd really appreciate if you that. could just go like, <laughs> yeah. temperature. But I do think there's no. some risk of just saying like it's a romantic comedy, so it's fine. I mean, I think it's I think it's probably better to like say I have problem with this. I mean, I, I think I think your issue with it is legitimate. Uh, um, it just depends on uh, probably the viewer <laughs> whether they feel like whether they feel like he took it too far. I mean. You know, to some extent, I think saying, you know, he obscured this thing or this thing is just normal human behavior. But at the same time, like he had kind of all the power in that situation <laughs> um, because he was the one with all the knowledge. So there is, you know, there is something there is something happening there that that is probably deserves more more than just a dismissal, maybe. Yeah. And that's what that's <clears throat> one of my probably my biggest gripe is the fact that like we watched this woman have all the agency the whole movie like mm -hmm. she's smart she's beautiful like she is in control like you know like she is going toe to toe with him you know and, and and that's great and they're you know falling in love over email but by the end of the movie like basically from that meeting on he has a power over her that she doesn't realize and that drove me insane because it's just like he and he basically catfishes her without catfishing her you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like and that bob i'm just like it's it just it's an entire like like the nanny says like she's like never marry a man who lies and i'm like this man's enti their entire thing is built on lies like <laughs> Oh, I get so mad you stole that. That was literally gonna be like my ending <laughs> thing. Like, and remember, oh, sorry. never marry a man who lies. <laughs> like, yeah, but that—that's that, literally what this entire movie is built on. It's like a it, Like, that's what this is. It's him lying to her because he knows who she is, and he doesn't tell her. So he's lying to her the whole time and just being like, "Oh, I think he's married." Oh, you know, and all this stuff. Like when they're joking about the the. Uh, the the online emails and so i'm just every time I'm, uh, so i've watched it every time <laughs> watched it twice and i'm like i i was just like i don't i it just it bothers me because it's like it doesn't give her the agency to be able to tell him no and like yeah, by the time they get to the end it's of it all started basically on an affair on both of their parts right like and it's just him lying to her 
to get his way. And, and I, I just don't love it. <laughs> and we've already talked about this, but based upon the fact that this started on an emotional affair on both of their parts, basically, you know, affair is, you know, people put that line different places. So between that and the gaslighting and like, how would someone forgive him? Which I think uh, I could forgive that. Plus, she's going to be a billionaire. Gets that, she gets that ring. Um, is this movie actually romantic? I think it is highly romantic. Uh, Sean, I feel like I know my feelings <coughs> on that. But um, how do we? How do we feel? Is this movie actually romantic? Uh, I, I think it's romantic. I mean, I think I think it. I think it relies on the fact that it's a romantic comedy and the atmosphere of the overall movie to make it romantic. But I also just by the fact that these are two people who really connect <laughs> by the end of the movie. I, I, I buy that that is happening. Oh yeah. So it works. So it works for me on that level there. there I, I actually think, I actually think that, that Sean is making some, some very good points <laughs> regarding what actually technically happens. Um, yes. But I think in terms of the way that, the way that it feels when you watch it, I think, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it, I think it, 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 gets the romantic part in romantic comedy probably not to the same extent as sleepless in seattle but and um, definitely not to the extent <laughs> of it while you were sleeping but yeah but but while you were sleeping is also much more there's something a little more sedate about it in general i mean it's a great movie but it's the, it's it's a little different tenor than than the it than is those two, i think but but yeah i mean i i i i think that it is romantic i buy that it's i buy the romantic aspect of it I think it's very romantic. I feel very single whenever I finish it. I don't know why I watch it. It really tortures me. <laughs> <laughs> this is really making me question the comfort movie, uh, you know, designation that you've given it. Yeah, I, I, it's very. Comforting. I like the, I, I like the sad the Christmas. I like I like that it I like that it makes me feel lonely and and sad. It's just it's so comforting. It's just like a warm blanket, you know. <laughs> Really, I love it. I was so excited. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this for weeks because I was like, I could feel a depression coming on. Like, I'm going to be all bummed out. But I'm like, I get it. I was like, I get to. No, I have to watch You've Got Mail and not just once. I get it watched twice and then talk about it for several hours. <laughs> like, I've been looking forward to it so much. I just love it. Um <laughs> But yeah, so do you guys have any final thoughts before we give out our personal scores for this film? Out of five, by the way. I think I've said I think I've said my piece. Yeah, I was gonna say I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just have one more thing to add. Instead of a brain, a cash register. Instead of a heart, a bottom line. You are nothing but a suit. Um, that's really, I just wanted to say that. Um, so Sean, out of five stars, what would you give this? Um, I'm wavering. I'm between two and a half and three. Go with, uh, your, gut. Go with your heart. Go with your gut. 2.75. So we can't do a 2.75. Pretend, <laughs> pretend you are on letterbox. <laughs> um, I... Would give this. Uh, it's a two and a half for me. Um, okay. I I can't look past the 
like the more I think about it, the more I'm just getting a little bit more incensed. And I'm like, hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> because like when we talk about the movies, I'm watching them again in my head because I'm insane and I do that. And I, it's just that, fi the finale part of it. Like while it is cute and romantic, it's just a little bit too much for me to be able to look past. I, I just don't love it. So uh, two and a half, two and a half. I am truly sorry you don't love it. I really thought you would, but that's fine. It's like but, well, not, there's a lot to love about this movie. And uh, uh, listen, like and I'm not Meg mad about it. Like you got at me for giving having the audacity to give aliens a four and a half instead of a five. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Yes, you're right. Um, I just <laughs> you were allowed it's, to give you got mail a two and a half. It is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but this isn't your favorite movie of all time like it's, it's up, also it's up there is it okay well i'm sorry i just i just, there's a lot you to do, love you about don't this have to be I, sorry people are allowed to have their own <laughs> no i'm just saying there's a lot to love about this movie and maybe if i saw it when i was younger and i didn't understand the politics of it a little bit more great i think i might be better but a lot, this was not a movie for me now like i could i i watched this and the things that are done like it, it's the it doesn't add all the way up for me um a lot of the elements are there it just doesn't it doesn't it get adds there. up to a 2.5 for you <laughs> yeah i am very curious to see how you feel about why you were sleeping next month very curious. <laughs> oh my goodness um, yeah that'll be i'll have to listen to that one yeah uh Brent, what about you <clears throat> um I feel like, um, man, I'm terrible at rating things. I, I, I think of it kind of like rating it within the genre of like romantic comedies because it's hard for me to think like, how do I feel yeah. about this compared to Evil Dead 2 or whatever? Um, yeah, just so, out, out of your heart, like what would yeah. you... Like as a romantic comedy, I'd probably give it like, uh, I'd probably give it like four and a half, maybe four stars. Honestly, I found I found some of Sean's arguments compelling. <laughs> um, and... I really like the last part of it, but I do find, even though it's not very long, I do think it, there's a tiny bit of pacing stuff that happens there that's kind of weird. And I think it's maybe just the consequence of, it kind of shifts genres a little bit right at the end. <laughs> Cause you get, you, it's not as funny. Um, but I also think, I mean, it's, it's one of the last great romantic comedies of like the nineties. So I'm going to say like, I'm going to say like four and a half. I don't like it quite as well as I like sleepless in Seattle and maybe a couple others, but, um, but I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's really good. And I think it's just a good movie. I think it's just a good movie overall. And it's wholesome. It's like, <laughs> you will not find me going on and on very often about something that is rated PG. <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't realize until, until this started and you mentioned it right at the jump that it was PG. I had always thought it was PG-13. Mm -hmm. um, although, I mean, thinking about the movie, that would not make sense. But I just had it in my head that it was PG-13. Well, a lot of romantic comedies are like they're just yeah. like PG thirteen genre for the most part. <laughs> Although, I mean, Sleepless in Seattle and While You Were Sleeping are also both PG. But <laughs> if there's not like if there's not like innuendo, I mean, there's nothing else that's ever really in romantic comedies is PG thirteen, and this movie doesn't yeah, really have that conversation I, about cyber sex is the raciest thing in the yeah. In and the whole movie. Uh, Tom Hanks <laughs> has the gall to read the line from the script and call Meg Ryan a real bitch. 
<laughs> I'm like, how did he even say that? That is Meg Ryan, sir. How did they let that get away with in a PG movie? <laughs> right. You can say bitch in PG. You can show somebody's butt in a PG movie. <laughs> and actually, in the nineties, in the nineties, yeah. they really pushed PG, like what you could do in a PG movie. And then they realized PG thirteen movies would sell to everybody, so they just kind of stopped. But yeah, because even in uh, I can't even think what it is, but there were several PG movies that like literally would show somebody walking through, and it was just like full on rear nudity. And now I feel like that would get put in PG thirteen, but the the 90s were a crazy time. Crazy time. Yeah. Um, for myself, obviously, this is a... F- hmm. I was going to say a five, but uh, I'm, I'll am i go a four and a half out of five on this. Just because... Go with your heart. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to go with... I'll go with a four and a half. I think that's actually what I gave it on... Mm, I gave it a five on Letterboxd. I will... Yeah, it's a five. I don't think it is absolutely perfect, but it is it is a five for me. It's um, what it does for me personally. It is a five. I have a strong connection to it. Um, do either of you, I always have Sean guess. Uh, I don't know about you, Brent. You're welcome to make a guess. You don't have to. What do you guys think on a star rating of one to five this Average is oh, out man. on Letterboxd. One to five. I was I was and ready can, to and say, you can do, and you can do halves. Like man, I was ready to say eight point four because I thought you were looking at IMDb. Okay, no, no. Nope. Okay, Letterboxd. <laughs> I want to say a. So it has half stars, but nothing else. Nothing. You can uh, do no, like you can any, do like percentage. Can you do, That's okay. You, you, um, you can do like one and a half stars, half a star. Anyway, anything up okay. to five. I mean, I'll say four stars. You think it's a four on Letterboxd? What are we, Sean? Yeah, I'll go with four. Mm, um, I feel like this is regarded by pretty much everyone but me. Um, <laughs> I'm going with three... Three... Three five. Three point five. Ooh, this is the second week in a row. You've almost gotten it. It is a 3.4 on Letterboxd. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> Uh, that's actually pretty good. I mean, that's almost a that's almost a seven out of ten. And uh, there's a weird little thing. I mean, you can get on Letterbox and try it. Most of the most highly regarded films are a three point nine because there's always going to be people that hate and love stuff, and you know we'll change that average. But generally, like the best movies of all time, if you look them up, a lot of them are a three point nine on Letterbox. So a three point four is very respectable. And nice. yeah, you're one off, Sean. I would love it if it was higher. But <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, I played this game a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> he was wildly off the first few. Um, well, I still just can't get over. I know what you did last summer being a two point seven. I'm just saying, I will never get over that. Uh, yeah, that really upsets me. Uh, <laughs> Brent, do you have anything you want to plug before we go over our socials and stuff? Uh, no, not really. Um, 50 Books Project is my blog I've been doing with my friend Chris for, uh, goodness, probably coming up on 18 years now, um, where we read 50 books a year. And I used to write reviews. I only write them every so often now. But Chris writes reviews every week and has been reading about 100 books a year. So if you like seeing people read stuff really fast, um, 
<laughs> maybe it, maybe it'd be appealing. But th thanks a lot for having me on here. I'm not really a movie person, and I really enjoyed the conversation. And oh, I'm I knew you. Looking forward to doing it again in August or whenever it is that we're yeah, talking about something else. I knew you would be a wonderful <laughs> guest because you are very good at talking about things intelligently. <laughs> just because it's just you can just say it. It's just because I don't ever stop talking once I start talking about something. I just oh no, you, <laughs> you stop talking. You stop talking at the appropriate intervals. <laughs> But yeah, really no, fun. this was a fantastic conversation. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it too. I enjoy, it. and I, I really feel like I was slightly swayed by by Sean's arguments too, which, which I was, I was surprised. I admit it, but it is always very surprising when like you don't know where the conversation's gonna go, and then it, it will, it'll change your mind sometimes, unless yeah. you're very, very stubborn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you want to reach us on the socials. Uh, we are still on Twitter until the bitter end um, at triple M pod with three M's. I am at just happy to see you. Number two, letter C, letter U. Sean is at Smurf 013, S-M-U-R-P-H 013. You can also find us on Letterboxd. Uh, I am at just happy to see you, just like Twitter. Number two, letter C, letter U. Sean is at Murph the Smurf, M-U-R-P-H-T-H-E-S-M-U-R-P-H. You can find us on Instagram at Triple M Pod with three M's. We have a Facebook page, Men Who Like Men Who Like Movies. Uh, if you want to email us, it is Men Who Like Men Who Like Movies Pod at gmail.com. And Sean, what are we watching next week? Uh, we're watching my favorite Thanksgiving movie. Uh, so next week we're watching that amazing tale of family and jewelry and probably my favorite villain ever oh, well what's it called <laughs> <laughs> i was getting to it you wait you do your pauses <laughs> let me have a pause uh we're watching adam's family values classic 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 i cannot wait uh, please, please, please do not forget to give us a five-star rate, maybe even a review if you have the time. It helps a ton. Ton, ton, ton. And I know this is the holiday season and times are weird out there. So please, guys, just be kind. You never know what others are going through. But until next time, bye. See you next week. And thanks again, Brent. Yeah, You guys uh, have a good... Thanks, you too. <laughs> <laughs> try, that, try that again. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no good i think we're gonna keep it that way yeah bye. it's great let's all just bye <laughs> <laughs>